Topping Talks. Hundred and five hours a week can't be beat. Welcome to Topping Talks. Topping Talks is a Topping Tribune production. Today's episode is proudly sponsored by Topping Technologies and ExpressVPN. Topping Talks is also on Spotify, Google Podcast, Apple Podcast, and Stitcher. Topping Technologies is an IT value-added reseller and services company with a special proficiency in IT security. Heck, I see their founder at least twice a day, have to say, quite handsome and brilliant. If you're a business in Texas and can use a hand, you can reach them at sales at toppingtechnologies.com. Also, are you part of the 3.6% of Americans who still care about their privacy? If you are, then perfect ExpressVPN can assist. Even though 96% of stats are made up on the spot, ExpressVPN does give 100% guarantee via their 30-day back money guarantee. Now, without further ado, I'm proud to say today I'm interviewing Greg Earnhardt, who is the founder of Make Ready Nutrition, and Mitch Chapman, who is a senior sales cybersecurity engineer. Thanks for coming on the show, guys. Appreciate it. Thanks, Topping. Appreciate you having us. Thanks for having us. Absolutely. It's a privilege to have this. is the first time we had three people on the show together. Right on. Cool. Very cool. So winding back the clock a couple of years, how did you guys first get into IT security? Yeah, I'll jump in. Um, 20 years ago, I got into uh, information technology just as a consumer. I went to DeRay Technology at night, went into as a firewall administrator. And then from there, just kind of blossomed into network security specialties. Um, went to work for a, a software manufacturer uh, at the time. And um, that's kind of been my life. I mean, just uh, everything from network security to web security to email security to endpoint security, uh, all facets of it. So uh, my wife is also in the business. My son's also in the business. Oh, no way. (laughs) It's a family thing. (laughs) Family business. What are the odds? (laughs) Mitch and I met 20 years ago. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. For me, I got into the business as a result of – my father had a friend of his that was a, um, he was a contractor that essentially went around and um, brought together what, what we would say now is like an IT outsourcer, but he was doing that like on the side. And he said, you know, Mitch would be great in the computer world. Yeah, you know, my dad's like, well, yeah, he spends most of his time pulling stuff apart. Let's see if he can actually do something with it. And uh, so I started off doing printer support for HP. Oh, no way. Uh, back in the day. So it was probably 1998. So and were you doing it for them internally or as a contractor for external? As for a contractor for or? an external. Yep. Yep. Oh, cool. So in a call center. Yeah. And so grandma would call yep. and say, you know, hey, I've got this HP 600 desk jet printer and it's not printing color. Okay, yep. great. Right. And jump into it. So. You know, that's literally where I started, where I cut my teeth and then uh, took a job with a, uh, a large financial firm uh, doing Unix support for them. And then it just kind of blossomed. I've been in uh, manufacturer world. I've been in startup world. I've been in uh, outsource world. Uh, Greg and I met at a startup. Oh, really? And, uh, and, and we, so we were bringing together a, a lot of expertise that we had from being at different companies and you know, we got in with these guys that had just brought in, I don't know, like five or $6 million in uh, funding. And, wow. and just, it was like, okay, well, so what are we doing here? Right. Um, so we, we learned from a lot of, of that. And then, you know, moving into working for big manufacturers, of course, is a whole different story. Right. Oh yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. It's been cool. 
a lot of fun. It's a whole different game working at the big manufacturers. That was my first one of my first jobs in IT was inside sales at Hewlett Packard Enterprise, the data center side of the company. Right before they, or that was the name after they split. Yep. So yeah, I remember all those uh, all those experiences. Sure, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, and you reminded me that first company that we met at. We were building a remediation tool, auto remediation tool, mm-hmm. um, and it leveraged off the vulnerability security threat management. So the Rapid Sevens, the Qualys, the uh, Internet Security Systems ISS back then, yep. and and Mitch and I, we were building the remediations. Mm-hmm. So what uh, what I just dawned on me when you were talking about that, I almost forgot. I mean, that tool was so innovative and so far ahead of its time. I mean, you think about now because the SOAR, you know, oh yeah, the SOAR platforms are the big ticket items now. And and what we did is we had a SOAR platform. I mean. It was kind of janky, but I mean, yeah. it worked. It ended up getting bought by McAfee at one point. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, so being on the ground floor of that was pretty innovative, and that's where he and I learned so much. I mean, we could just uh, sit there and uh, basically listen to what was that uh, that group in-house drive-by that we yeah, and we rage, rage against the machine like yeah. all day long. And, you know, part of it was the, the, the interesting element was, you know, we, we didn't know how serious the threats were back then. I mean, of course, they've gotten so much worse now, yeah. right? But what we were dealing with is just simple patching on Windows systems, yeah. things that were, you know, it might have been like a print spooler type of issue or uh, something that w- what we would consider today would be like remedial, right? Very yeah. easy to resolve. Uh, and then it got a little bit more serious to where those remediation signatures were things like making adjustments in the registry, right? Yeah. And and that adjustment in the registry could be changing, you know, H key local machines, such and such, uh, or it could be deleting the entire hive, yeah. right? And we all know what that looks like whenever you <laughs> yeah. go in and do uh, reg edit in the wrong way. Uh, so we had a very powerful tool that we were essentially, we were writing all of the signatures for this. And, you know, every once in a while we would have one that got a little bit out of control and then, you know, we're like, okay, so we just created a bigger problem. Uh, so that I think queued up a lot more of our, um, expertise level of really understanding from the boots on the ground element of, you know, what, what the people, the customers that we were dealing with what they were going through, having to do all that in a manual way, yeah. right? Versus like, you know, nowadays everyone expects automation and, and, you know, we're looking at technologies that there's playbooks that are already built. Right. So yeah. I, I trust that the big vendor that just wrote that playbook did the right thing for me yeah. right back then. Yeah. You were trusting Greg and Mitch that we did the right thing for you. That was scary. It was terrifying. Yeah. Uh, the places that we were walking into yeah. in branches of the military and the United States government and the big enterprises that we were walking into. Without a doubt. And, and we had what we call the big red button. Oh, yeah. So you just hit the big red button and yeah. you hope nothing. Cross your fingers. <laughs> yeah. And, and everything, you know, when a change was, uh, was committed on that system, mm-hmm. essentially you were waiting for the reboot that needed to happen, right? Sometimes you had to reboot. Sometimes you didn't. And so it was literally fingers crossed when you hit that button to do initiate remote reboot. And whoever's ever was on that system at that point is going to get, they may get a message or they may not. It might be a silent reboot. Oh, geez. And then boom. So hopefully the machine comes back. And uh, I had a scary moment in that case where 
had a, a a good friend of mine that had a consulting business that ultimately went on to be bought by IBM. It was in his very early days. And we were like, man, can we try this, you know, our, our new uh, release at your inside of your organization? And he's like, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, the first system that he pointed to, he's like, well, I know our exchange server is very behind on patches. And, and he was like, it's fine. We've got backups of it. So just go ahead and do it. Yeah. And yeah, remediated it. It did not come back up oh. <laughs> uh, on the reboot. And, uh, and, and it was like, okay, so, well, let's just get the backup and get it back up and running. And he's like, well, I'm not sure how far back the backup goes, right? That <laughs> oh, was, gosh. We had a lot of those moments. That's right. One of the biggest gaps in terms of IT. It's like everyone has a backup solution, but they have, have they actually tested it? Yeah. No. Yeah. yeah it's no. like, oh, yeah, we back up. I'm like, okay, good. Have you tried to actually, you know, restore, restore. it? Restore it yeah. or have you verified? Do you just click the button to say, oh, yeah, every 30 days we'll back it up. It's like, are you sure it worked? Like, that's, that's a big what if. I mean, yeah, yeah it is. <laughs> especially with data being the most you know, valuable thing on the planet these days. It's like, well, you should probably put some safeguards in place. <laughs> Without a doubt. Yeah. And I think that what we've seen nowadays is that uh, the customers that we interact with are so much more trusting of their data being in the cloud and they have, well, surely there's a backup somewhere of this. We've got all of these automated backups <laughs> that are constantly running where Microsoft is asking us, do you want to back up OneDrive? Do you want to back? Yeah, well, we assume that everything has been backed up somewhere. But then, you know, when it really goes down or the rubber meets the road, how do you bring back that one, you know, the crown jewels or uh, take it back to a really granular, you know, simplistic perspective? You know, the the front desk admin happened to delete a folder of the executive that she supports. Well, let's go bring it back. I have yep. no idea where it went, right? Yep. Yeah, real easy to back up, but not so easy to restore and verify. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Which is the most important. I agree. Well, out of curiosity, what's the biggest, like kind of most shocking or maybe your favorite story from your career in terms of you went to an environment, you're like, oh, dear God, what went, what, 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 how did this happen? <laughs> And you don't have to name company names, of course. I, you know, I, I'm trying to substitute <laughs> in my head. I'm trying to anomalize. Yeah. ABC, right. ABC Corp. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, it, it, to, to, for me, I mean, I, I mentioned the one um, where we were remediating that exchange server, but I, I did have, uh, at the same company, had a variety of, uh, you know, on-premise with a customer. Um, one of them was a, a pretty large government entity, and, and we had just sold them. And so it was not like, you know, we were doing this in a pre-sales motion. It was, we were implementing the product across all of their branches, essentially. And, and it wasn't a three-letter agency necessarily, uh, but it was an important agency in the government. And my job was to go to each of these locations and install the server component and then bring up the client side and essentially just verify that everything worked. Yeah. Right. So go do a vulnerability scan, a lightweight scan to look for, uh, let's just call them like the easy pickings. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, and then once that occurred, then, you know, essentially make sure that the remediation signatures that were written mapped appropriately. Mm -hmm. And then we would essentially give the keys to the kingdom to the customer at that point and say, OK, we've done our, you know, our activities for getting this implemented. Uh, check this box. Right. And now it's yours. This is your baby. Yeah. Uh, and, and we, we did that and they had, while I was still on site, 
had set off a vulnerability scan to run. And if you're familiar with vulnerability scanners, you can run a very lightweight scan. You can run a very heavy scan that goes deep into the environment and sets off all kinds of alarms, <laughs> right? Oh, yeah. And they're like, well, let's just pick this one. And they picked the most verbose scan <laughs> that could be run. Aggressive. And it was aggressive. And so it, it started like within a matter of minutes, phones were just going off left oh, and right. I mean, people are calling and we're like, okay, well, um, maybe we should have sent out an email, you know? Um, and, and I just remembered in the back of my mind, we already have them as a customer. You're safe. And, and, and that, I just kept replaying that in my mind. Like it's, it's going to be okay. Right. There's not a sale hinging on this moment. But uh, what was hinging was our reputation, yeah. right? Like yeah. new vendor. And uh, so all that said, we did not uh, get thrown out of there as a, uh, a newly minted vendor. But that was one of the scariest moments without a doubt for me. And, you know, and, I mean, probably one more of those would be working for a large antivirus manufacturer and having definitions roll out that were incorrect and uh, it, to every customer. Right. And having to deal with that as a pre-sales engineer of being basically the first, you know, throat to choke, essentially, yep. uh, because they call support and support says, yeah, we're working on that. OK, yeah. well, I want to talk to the guy that sold this to me. That's <laughs> who I want to reach. Mm -hmm. And, you know, getting those kind of phone calls routinely and, and you know, that kind of stuff doesn't happen as much as it did back in the day. There's a lot of, a lot more checks and balances in place from quality yeah. control and QA and whatnot, but oh, yeah. it was the wild, wild west back then. I really, really think so. Yeah. What about you, Greg? So similar story. It was, uh, it was a branch of the United States military and the CTO of our company um, had come out with a new revision. I mean, so the new revision of the product, and we weren't in with this customer, but we flew to D.C. together, mm -hmm. and he and I kind of talked about the big red button. We were like, you know, once we get their scans and we go through their data, are you going to just make a few changes, do some patch updates, or what are you going to do? And he said, no, I'm 100% confident. I'm going to hit the – we're going to reboot everything. And I was oh, – wow. and so we went into the branch of the military in D.C., and um, we started looking at some scans and everything, and we started uh, noticing that when military personnel run IT, they, they go on TDY. So it's temporary duty station. They just go TDY. And so the first thing we noticed was there was over 175 domain admins. 175? 175 domains. Jeez. Because <laughs> they come in, they do domain, you know, they get their user account, they do their little thing. And then they, you know, just pass through. So yeah. we were like, oh, this is going to be easy peasy. You know, we're going to really impress them. Oh, yeah. So we go and we set up in the, uh, in the help desk area of, of this military organization. Everybody's in uniform. Everybody's very polite. They're very, you know, professional. And then and I keep looking at the CTO and I'm like, I wouldn't do it. And he's like, yeah, he's going to do it. So we get the scans. <laughs> of course he is. Yeah, he's going to do it. I mean, we have connections to all the servers, all the uh, endpoints we have. I mean, we're connected on the network with domain admin privileges. Yeah. So again, we can write high uh, write registry entries. We can delete executables. We can do a lot with this stuff. And, um, and he hits the big red button and then, and I'm noticing out of the corner of my eye, these PCs start bouncing. And, and again, there was really no warning message 
to tell, you know, hey, save your work. We're about to do, you know, this on the network. Yeah. And all of a sudden the phones start ringing. People start getting excited. People start getting angry. And then a boot hits the door and the door almost comes off its hinges. And it's a three-star general. I mean, he is hot. I mean, and it, by I mean, rightfully so, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, because his entire organization just took a dump, uh, and and so I start scooting away from the CEO, <laughs> yeah. start you know, kind of covering my shirt. I'm packing my bag because I know we're about to get tossed out on our ear. Um, the CTO was able to kind of make amends, and he's literally in the background rewriting that revision. It was something in really? in the revision that we had brought. And it wasn't really QA, QC too, but too well. So he, he's rewriting the code and recompiling it and pushing oh, it out. Oh, my gosh. In real time. Yeah. In huh. real time. I mean, so my throat was dry. I was tense. I was <laughs> freaking out. Um, there was another time that uh, I had a, a very large uh, retail customer. Um, it goes without saying they're located in Arkansas. Yeah. You know, Um and I was primarily on the network side, the network security. And so I was there to do like a pitch and presentation about my application proxy firewall and how it's you know, safer than, you know, packet uh, so, uh, firewall and so on and so forth. And so that same same thing happened is the, the company I was working for pushed out a data update mm-hmm. and it hit their exchange server and it just smashed it. I mean, it just, Jeez. it, it, and the, the redundancy didn't come back. I mean, it just really, you know, this patch update. And so I had finished everything. Well, they saw the logo on my shirt and they came in and they said, hey, you fix this. And I was like, I'm really the network guy. I really don't know about, you know, exchange that much. And they said, we don't care. (laughs) I said, but I'd only plan to travel for one day. So, I mean, you know, and they said, we're a major retailer. We'll buy you underwear. And I was was (laughs) stuck. I'm calling my sales guy. I'm calling my sales manager and they're like, fix it, dude. And oh I'm yeah. Like, I, yeah, no. Uh, but so we set up in, you know, a conference room and we were able to get the right people on the phone and 24 hours later we got them up in business, but oh, that's awesome, man. That was super spooky. Jeez. I, I can imagine. I've heard stories about that big retailer. It's a lot of pressure, but a lot of very, reward. Yeah. <laughs> very spooky. Yeah. They turned out to be a good account for us. So oh, definitely. Would you say that's probably also one of your kind of proudest moments in it as well? I've had a lot of those. I mean, we've really had, especially Mitch and I work in enterprise for the last few years. Mm-hmm. We've had a lot of uh, seven-figure wins. Uh, oh, wow. So where, you know, we really owned the account from cradle to grave. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we did the introductions. We did the presentations. We did the technical overviews. We did the technical deep dives. Uh, we worked with the technical staff, also with the C-level staff, with the VP-level staff. We, I mean, we were either in the data center or the bar, or, you know, at some event, you know, in all aspects of it. And then what is most satisfying to me uh, as, as a sales engineer, especially in cybersecurity, is when you start, because cybersecurity is such a dry subject. Yeah. There's not a lot of meat and bone there, unless there's been a breach. Yeah. Then there's a lot of attention and a lot of excitement. And, but, fun, and funding. That's when it, that's where it comes. It's that's like, right. Oh yeah, it's a breach. Oh now yep, yep. the budget. Now is we there. got a blank check. Now you yeah. got money. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Surprise, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, but when you're doing and you're pitching your wares and you're you know providing, so when when I see the customer's light bulb goes on, um, you know probably the first or maybe in the tenth time I've presented the solution, mm-hmm. that's a win for me. 
you know, that's, I'm like, okay, yes. Got it. Now, you know, now you know, and at least, you know, the risk, cause that's really all cybersecurity is, is the acceptance of the risk. Yeah. So, I mean, if you don't have the funding for it, are you willing to accept the risk? If you are, then good. Yeah. Call us when you need us. Um, but when I see, you know, when I see my customers or my audience or somebody and they actually get the, the need for virtual private networking or for, you know, segmenting, uh, micro segmentation. Um, I mean, for anybody listening to this, get off the hub and spoke network. I mean, <laughs> that flat network model is old. It's dead. It's yep. please stop. Um, implement two factor authentication, you know, just some of oh, these yeah. simple things, right. Um, that, uh, it's just, it's hard to turn a big ship around. Right. Oh, it's very true. So, yeah. So those are the satisfying things to me. I mean, um, I'm married to, like I said, my wife is in a sales organization and cybersecurity, my son, yeah. cybersecurity organization and sales. So I'm married to sales literally. literally. <laughs> yeah. So month in quarter end, oh, big yeah. push. Um, I was, it dawned on me the other day, there was something we needed fixed in the house and I went and reported back to her and, you know, the insurance company said this and this and this. And she started asking me, well, who did you talk to? Well, what did they say? Well, who, I was like, are you giving me an account review right now? Cause it, it sounds like, it sounds like you want me to run down the deal, you know, at where we at in the, you know, in the process. And she was like, Sorry, bad habit. <laughs> so, that's funny. Yeah. So that I can see her doing that. Yeah, medic. <laughs> yeah. Medic account review. Yeah, that's exactly it. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. And then how do you guys first get into competitive shooting? Happenstance. Um, Mitch has been into firearms for a number of years. I was prior military. I was regular Army. I appreciate uh, your service. Yeah, thank you. Uh, shot uh, expert. Um hunt fish always shot guns but it wasn't until a friend of ours um that we worked with a co-worker lance and uh he took us out to an outdoor range mm-hmm. and um i'll never forget i'm asking mitch what do i need to do what do i need to do he's telling me go to t-rex arms get this camo mm-hmm. holster for your clock 19 you know make sure you got a thigh strap on it because in our mind we don't understand what practical shooting is even close to anything about we understand yeah. tactical shooting so armor plates, helmets, uh, you know, all the, all the fancy gear. Um, there's actual, you know, the tactical games.com. I mean, there's a sport built around that. But when we went to, uh, when we went to the mission 160, uh, our, our home range, mm-hmm. and we started shooting targets and shooting steel. And then uh, Mitch and I were getting pretty good. Our buddy said, all right, now we're going to put some movement. And I, I said, why would we do that? Just do it. So we started shooting on the move. And, and I noticed with Lance, uh, he was very aggressive with his holster draw and his sight picture and his trigger press. And um, so I tried to you know, replicate that, and it was kind of fun, but I wasn't any good. And then we got good at shooting and moving. And then he said, okay, now we're going to introduce a timer. And I said, why would I do that? And he said, let's just do it. You know, let's, let's see what you can do. And what kind of moving were you doing? So I know traditionally, if you go to a gun a gun range, you know, indoor or outdoor, a lot of people for the most part, they you know, you get up there, you got the table in front of you, you place your gun on, and then you st- you stand there stationary and you shoot at a target. So then, when you're mo- you're outside, is for you moving? Is that going like left and right to station to station, or in which different axis are you? Are you just going forward and backward, north? Yeah. So that's the difference. Is I was you know used to lane shooting, mm-hmm. 
you know, the exact same thing, an indoor range, you go in, you, sh- you kill paper and you try to get your groups tight and, you know, you move your target further out or closer in. Yep. Um, but when we were, you know, learning this particular movement, you can only go downrange or you can go laterally, right? Um, you can run uprange as long as the barrel is pointed downrange. Yeah. Um, and so you know, we incorporating that was completely foreign to us. Yeah. Uh, we really didn't. I mean, that was like, so we noticed his draw and his side picture and his trigger press were very aggressive on these targets. Mm-hmm. But now he started moving. Yeah. And we, I just, I thought that was so cool. Oh, yeah. I was like, holy smokes. Yeah. And, um, yeah, what do you remember about it? For me, I had done a couple yeah. of tactical trainings where I actually went to facilities. I went to one in Arkansas where um, a customer of mine at the time had said, um, you know, this this guy that I went to school with, we grew up together. He now has this tactical training facility that's got like, you know, a, a big helicopter on a stand and all this like, and he's like describing this. I'm like, I, I just, I've got to see this because I really don't <laughs> believe it. I got to see it. And so he signs us up and, and he said, he's like, um, he's going to do this for us like pro bono. And I'm like, oh, okay, great. Well, that's, that's fine. You know, yeah. uh, but we're responsible for ammo. Okay, cool. Well, I mean, how, how many rounds do we need? And we're just shooting pistol and I'm shooting a Glock 19. Oh, yeah. And, uh, and he said, uh, you're going to need 5,000 rounds. 5, and I was like, oh. okay, so hold on a second. <laughs> what are we shooting that needs 5,000 rounds shot at it? And he's like, we're going to be shooting steel. We're going to be shooting paper, you name it. And uh, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to go ahead and go to my local gun store and I'm going to buy all of the nine millimeter (laughs) that they have. And, and so he had this whole thing cooked up, right? I mean, he was just like a magician when it came to this. So he had a pallet of nine millimeter ammunition delivered to the range this is a private range oh, that we're going to. <laughs> so we like get there and we're like, Oh my gosh. Okay. And, and so like you think 5,000 rounds and there was six of us that were in this class. So that's 30,000 rounds. Right. And, and it's not just that you are going to shoot that you've got to load your magazine. Yeah. Right. Oh, yeah. So there's a whole lot <laughs> that goes into it. Um, that was one experience for me where, we did drawing from a holster. We did uh, what I would say very light left to right movement that was more so centered around shooting down range in not a lane uh, type of scenario, but a very a smaller area that you didn't really have to take into consideration of running down range, up range, et cetera. So it was, it was left to right movement. Mm-hmm. And in that, uh, what we exposed or what he helped us expose was a lot of the bad habits that had been built up over the years from just going to the range and just killing paper, like Greg said. Yeah. Uh, so once you get in there and, and this guy, he trains, he's like an ex uh, green beret. Yeah. And I'm not going to say the name of the facility, but it, it, it is without a doubt, one of the top facilities in the country. They still train um, three letter agencies. He's uh, all types of law enforcement come in there. And his whole kind of mantra is, uh, the next level of that training was to go into a shoot house, right? And so when you think about like Call of Duty kind of stuff where, yeah. you know, you come into the room and you're just like killing stuff in all these rooms, it was that, but real life. And wow. we're shoot, shooting simunitions, which is basically like paintball mm-hmm. that's being shot out of a, a Glock 19, right? And so it's still shooting at 
500 feet per second. Oh, and wow. so, but we're shooting each other with that, right? That was, <laughs> that was the last day. He tells us, you're going to love the last day. <laughs> we get to that point. So, so to, to wrap that thought up, that was what I had been exposed to. And I didn't have to think about anything except for somebody shooting me back, right? Because we were all armed in that situation. And so when you take that and transpire it into competitive shooting, practical shooting at a different level, uh, you have to throw a lot of that out, right? It's like, you know, the survival instinct of like running and gunning in that particular sense where you're seeking cover and trying to be tactical. Mm -hmm. All that does is slow you down, right? So you have to pull all the stops out when you get into competitive. Uh, so it, it creates a lot of efficiency of motion You've got to be extremely quick at your uh, footsteps, the amount of steps that it takes to get from one place to another. Uh, you got to count that stuff in order to be uh, what I would say efficient and timely. In, in practical shooting, right? In practical shooting, right? right. Exactly. In that first scenario, were you on a clock or no? Uh, in the, the training with those no guys? Uh, no timer. Yeah. yeah. No, it was just like, you know, hey, blast this stuff. Yeah. Yep, exactly. So once the timer got introduced into things, then, you know, you're, you have a whole different level of measurement, right? I mean, it, it's to, to take it back to IT, right? When we look at IT and we didn't have the tools to measure things for many, many years. Now, all of a sudden, you know, take that into shooting and you've got a timer that is running all the time. And not only that, they're interested in things like splits, which splits is your time between shots, not your total time, right? So your total time could be 30 seconds, but you shot 50 rounds in those 30 seconds. Well, how fast were those rounds, the cadence each time, right? Yeah. They, they were genuinely interested. Lance was interested in that. And Greg and I were like, this doesn't make any sense. No, they're looking at microseconds now. Yeah, yeah. Gosh. So it puts the whole thing under a completely different microscope, if you will, and... Uh, and I, I think what was what got to be exciting for us in that first sense was outside of the fact that both of us love to acquire equipment. Yeah, right. that that in and of it, it's just like in in IT, right? We all want to have the cool headsets. We want to have the latest phone, uh, the latest laptop, the latest camera, etc. When you get into the shooting sports, all of that stuff still applies, oh, yeah. right? Having cool shoes. Cool accoutrement, the best bag, the best gun, all of the things that you could possibly invest in to hopefully get yourself to the level where someone can say, well, it's definitely not the equipment. Right. It's yep. got to be the person that's running the equipment, right? <laughs> and, and so, I mean, I it was fascinating for me in that sense to actually go through the process of buying stuff. And and I remember that day when Lance is kind of running down, he he pulls out this backpack that's made by Safari Land, and 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 it's like very uh, prominent in shooting sports. Lots of people use it. And I'm looking at this, and I'm like, why in the world does he have this? I mean, like, I could get all that stuff in my range bag. Mm -hmm. um, but now, fast forward to today, we both have one or two of those backpacks, <laughs> and full yeah. of stuff that you know I wouldn't have in a million years guessed that I would need to be running around on a gun range with, like tools uh, and you know various. Uh, Tape guns, a tape gun, a stapler, uh, batteries, right? <laughs> a heavy duty stapler that's carbon fiber. 
right? <laughs> I needed <laughs> that. Uh, so it's, it's, you know, to your point of talking about all of the, the various things that it takes to, you know, to run this podcast, as we were talking about earlier, um, it's just like that, right? Oh, yeah. When you, when you get into it and, and you kind of start trying to solve for how, how far along do I want to go in this before I start evaluating my personal skill set against my equipment that I've just acquired. Yeah. And, and fortunately I think that happened uh, early, early enough, right? For yeah. us. Yeah. So that, that brings me, so that same day was very similar. Uh, I hadn't had that experience before. I just had the lane shooting yeah. and I had my little Glock 19. I had my little T-Rex holster, my little thigh strap, a little Tommy tactical setup, which there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. Every aspect of that is completely cool, completely acceptable. Mm-hmm. Um, you can't really go very far within the United States Practical Shooting Association, the USPSA. Mm-hmm. There's a very, it's a sanctioned organization, 40,000 members. Mm-hmm. So as the engineer, um, once we had gone to the range a couple of times, I went home to, you know, USPSA.org, mm-hmm. started looking at that detail. Mitch and I are going back and forth. I mean, like everything we do, we're like shoulders deep in it, yeah. and we're just clawing our way through and, and we're learning more about the ranges and we're learning about the organization and we're learning more about practical shooting. And then, and as he said, we're equipment, equipment freaks. Yep. So, I mean, it, it was, uh, it was right about that time that staccato had come out with their 2011, mm-hmm. um, product line. And we got to go shoot, uh, here at a local range. And, and I remember talking to Tony, uh, cause he was, uh, the marketing director for staccato still is, and, and I, I remember saying, your gun makes me a better shooter. Oh, yeah. Right? And, and so I bought the verse uh, Staccato P and took it to the range to Mission 160. And I, I, don't know if it, I, I don't know if it was the equipment, but I know I was able to hit the steel plates faster. Yeah. I, was able to, I was able to do splits. I didn't even know what splits was, but I was able to, you know, like uh, double tap, yeah. basically. And, um, and then, so from there, um, we were on a text, uh, string, um, Mitch, Lance and I, and, uh, it was, um, Lance said, there's a, there's a match on, this was in May. We were doing all this. There's a match June the 12th. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's an outlaw match. And of course I Google that. What is an outlaw match? And I don't, there's not really a lot of feedback, but it uh, ultimately is you can get two hits on paper, one on steel and, so there's not really the USPSA scoring factor. So I'm looking, I'm getting all excited, I'm getting my gear together. Um, comes June the 12th, it's like on a Saturday, and uh, I'm on my way to the range, and I've signed up through practice score. And I, I mean, I've got everything done technically, right? Yeah. And so I throw out a text, and I'm like, man, I'm stoked to you guys. And there's no no response back right away. <laughs> and so I'm driving out to the range, and I'm checking my phone, and I'm like, I know these guys. I mean, we talked about it, right? Mm-hmm. And so all of a sudden I pull up to the range and I get a text or, you know, a response from Lance. And he's like, oh, hey, bro, I'm in PTO in Tennessee. Have fun. I'm like, what? <laughs> yeah. I reach out to Mitch and Mitch is like, oh, no, I didn't plan on going. And it was like, oh, my God, I don't know anybody. <laughs> yeah. I can see the range and there's, you know, 40, 50 cars out there. I mean, it's oh, wow. it's hopping, right? It's yeah. a big deal. And so I remember, and so I called my wife and I was like, babe, uh, Lance and Mitch said they're not coming. And she's like, so? <laughs> and I was like, I don't know anybody out here. And she's just like, 
I'm not going to tell you what she said, but she said, basically, don't be a sissy, right? <laughs> yeah. You know, go and have fun. Um, I had met Matt and Kevin uh, that uh, run and own the range out there. So I, I saw them and I was waving. And so uh, they said, hey, this is your first match. We'll take care of you. Go over here. Go through the safety instruction. You know, just don't break the 180. And yep. the, the keys that I even tell people to this day, and that's what they told me, is that, like, there's two, two rules. Yeah. Have fun. Leave with the same holes you brought. I'm <laughs> yep. like, okay, well, I'll try that. So um, I went up there in my first match, and, and of course, I did my safety briefing, and then I reported to my stage. And, of course, uh, I said, I'm new. And they were like, okay, we'll move you to the end. And I watched these guys get up there, and, I mean, they're just riding lightning. I mean, they're just wham, 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 you know, boom. And I'm like, oh, my God, this is. What did I get myself into? Way more <laughs> competitive than what I thought was going to happen. I thought we were just going to yuck it up. Yeah. And um, and then, you know, like three shooters had gone. I'm kind of goofing around, you know, just kind of evaluating the people. They look, you know, they just look like everyday people. Yeah. They're not, you know, far right, crazy, you know. I mean, they're just people. Yeah. And And so all of a sudden they said, you know, Greg's the next shooter. Well, they just said I was going to be last, but anyway, I'm like, okay, suck it up, G. You know, so I get up there, and there's um, uh, uh, there's a like four target, uh, three targets right together. Well, I had just just practiced these blended targets, so three targets, six shots, fast as you can do it, you're good. So I get up there, and they say, you know, make ready. That's the first command. You load your weapon, you put it in your holster, you put your hands below belt. They're like, are you ready? You can either nod or you can, you know, just sit there. And then the range officer is behind you and he's got a timer and he goes, stand by and then you beep. So I pull my weapon, one, two, three, four, five, six. And then all of a sudden the range officer said, stop, stop, stop. And I'm like, oh my God. Usually when you hear that, it means you just committed a safety violation yep. and you don't have, you know, you don't have to go away mad. You just have to go away. Yeah. Um, and so I stopped and they said, unload and show clear. I cleared my weapon. He said, uh, clearly, the, you didn't read the, the, the written stage briefing. It says you have to start on the popper before engaging other targets. And I was like, what is the stage briefing? And, and of course, everybody else knows. And, you know, a couple yeah. of guys are standing back there. They're like, you know, they come here, come here. And, and so they're like, every stage has these, you know, instructions on them. And you have to follow these and yeah. so on and so forth. And so I left that stage and ran to the next stage before anybody got there and started studying this stage <laughs> briefing because I was not going to make that mistake again. It was horribly embarrassing, but yeah. it was only embarrassing to me. Yeah. I mean, because I've been shooting for a year and a half, and I've seen newcomers come out. I mean, they come out with their little T-Rex holster with their little thigh strap, and, man, they're ready to, you know, just low crawl and whatever they need to do, you know. But um, it, it's really cool. Um but I got toward the end of the match, and there was an older gentleman came up, and, and he said, uh, you're new. Yeah. And I was like, yeah. <laughs> and he said, well, what do you think about it? I said, I really don't know. I don't know about this. This is intense. And uh, so he sat there and talked to me a long time. He had been shooting 20 years. And, I mean, uh, he was gentleman. Yeah, he went out. He was old school. He went all the way out to his car and got his business card and, and brought it back to me and gave me his home phone number and he said, listen, he said, you're going to, you know, have a lot of questions and stuff like that. And at the time I was shooting a, a, a brand new shiny staccato 20, 2011, you know, P oh, yeah. and I had that in my little uh, holster and stuff. 
And he said, what kind of gun is that? I said, Staccato P. And he goes, I've never heard of them. You're going to need to get rid of that. Uh, you know, you need to go buy this Infinity or this Atlas Guns Works or something like that. And, and, and he goes, um, and you're going to need two guns. So yeah. you need a primary and a backup. And I was like, I hadn't thought about that. That's awesome. He said, you're going to need a backup holster. You're going to need a backup belt. You're going to need backup magazines. He goes, and those little tennis shoes that you got on right there, you're going to need some cleats for out here. And I was like, well, what kind of cleats? And he said, Solomon. We all wear Solomon. I'm looking. Really? And everybody's got these Solomons on. And so later I check with Mitch, and he's like, oh, yeah, REI's got them. We'll go up there. I mean, they're like $115 a pair. Oh, wow. Yeah. And so um, and you think about, you know, going to the run ra- gun range, the you know, the primary equipment is a gun, but it's yeah. also eye protection, Ears protection ear pro, right? Yeah. And so we start looking at this where there's a company that um, once we start talking about make ready nutrition, there's a company that I just partnered with called Hunter's HD Gold. And they have a specific lens that is a gold lens. And, and their tagline is we change so you don't have to. Mm-hmm. Um, and it actually helps you pick up the red dot a little bit better. Uh, there is some some rubies that are also helpful for uh, shotguns and, and even bright, bright sunlight that yep. Mitch wears. Yep. And um, so uh, they're MSRP about 400 bucks a pair. Oh, wow. Yeah, you need two of those two. Of course, yeah. <laughs> Get the red and the yellow. And, I mean, there might be a better frame that comes along. I mean, you might want the black frame or, I mean, if you want to, you can even take your glasses that you have right now and send them to them and they will put their lenses in there and prescription really? of those lenses too. That was just like the beginning of one of the rabbit holes that you went down. Right oh, there. absolutely. Yeah. Right. I mean, so yeah. And, we're, and there's multiple rabbit holes. So we're looking at guns, we're looking at gear, we're looking at ammunition We're you know, we get to learn about what the difference between major and minor power factor. Um, I mean, there's the, like the USPSO, USPSA is like one subculture in and of itself. Yeah. And then there's another one that's parallel to it called IDPA. Mm-hmm. And then there's an international, it's IPSC. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and a lot of these may be cross members or something like that. Oh, yeah. But, I mean, ultimately it's doing the same thing, just different rule sets. And, and what are they... What is the acronym for folks who don't know? What, what do they both stand for? Or what are kind of the biggest differences between the organizations? Yeah, so United States Practical Shooting Association is uh, a USPSA. Um, that's domestic, you know, for the continental U.S. I don't know that it's yeah. anything outside. That's right. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a sanctioned sport, uh, 40,000 plus members. Oh, wow. Um, it is a very nominal, you know, membership fee. Right. But it gives you access to your number. It gives you access to your, you know, specific class. Uh, I started shooting, uh, like I say, pistol, which put me into – um, because of the pistol that I had in what they call open minor. Mm-hmm. So the open minor, um, which is uh, very difficult to shoot in uh, because I had a compensator on my gun uh, that put me in open. Um, my gun would only take minor power factor, which was like less gunpowder. So okay. it's not as hard of a recoil. Mm-hmm. So the major power factor, what's the technical term for major minor yeah so major power factor essentially means that uh the way that they measure the power of the load that you're shooting right so it can still be shooting a nine millimeter projectile it just has more powder in there which then in and of itself means that it's harder on the equipment that's shooting that right so that means the gun to shoot major has to be built 
specifically to handle those types of, um, you know, uh, I would say explosions as well as uh, the necessary recoils and whatnot that comes along with that. Cause it's very, uh, not easy. It's, it's a lot less uh, time consuming and money to build a gun that shoots off the shelf, nine millimeter Luger ammunition, right? That's, you're talking about just your standard 115 grain that's probably going 1,100 feet per second, right? Yeah. And it's shooting about 130 power factor. So when you take one that's major power factor, that's going to go all the way up to 175 power factor. Oh, wow. Uh, which is significant. And we're just talking numbers here, but when you look at just the amount of uh, sheer recoil that happens between those two platforms based on major versus minor, it's a lot, right? So you have to not only take into that consideration for uh, how you're gripping and all your preparation, but also your equipment and uh, everything that goes along with that. So, I mean, with USPSA, you have uh, not only that, but you have the various platforms that they support and the different types. So like, you know, in this case, when you're looking at uh, Greg's staccato, um, that's a, it, that's a staccato XC, right? That's X. an XC, exactly. And the reason why uh, staccato really has made their name is they build a double stack t- called a 2011, right? And you'll notice on the top, it has a red dot sight, right? Yep. So in order to be able to shoot a configuration like that, you can only be in uh, two categories, yeah. actually. Really? Um, so USPSA looks at all of the characteristics of the platform and they essentially assign that particular platform, whether the gun has uh, double stack or single stack magazine capacity, if it has a compensator on the front, if it has a red dot, uh, if it actually has a hammer and a safety, if it has uh, a, a forward thumb rest to be able to, uh, you know, to help compensate for recoil and whatnot. And then as you start to really peel away all of those characteristics, you get into what they call a limited gun. And a limited would be one that you can't have a magwell on there, right? Which having a magwell is what really assists in being able to do high-speed reloads. Yep. And you're going to do quite a bit of that, right? So right. you want it to be as, as easy as possible to get that magazine back into the gun. Um, so limited strips, a lot of those, uh, well, I would say competitive advantages are uh, to those that run that platform. And then uh, it gets into even uh, categories like production. And production is like an off-the-shelf, no-modification factory gun. So you take a Glock 19 out of the plastic box, yeah. and you go to the range with it, and that's it. And, and there's even... Uh, uh, categories inside of limited, like limited 10, which means that the magazine can only hold 10 rounds. And that's specifically limited that way to create more reloads for the shooter. Yep. So it, it's, again, more time that it's going to take to go through the drill that you've got to go through. Uh, so you start peeling away all of that and you you find all the different uh, people and personalities out there that have chosen the different uh, styles of gun to compete with, right? Of course, 
I mean, it's like, well, what kind of car do you drive? Right. Yeah. And a lot of times, you know, you kind of, you associate, you know how you associate people with their dogs, oh, yeah. right? And you, you associate people with their cars and you're like, that guy looks like the kind of guy that drives a fast car, yep. right? And then you see the guy that drives, that, that shoots a really fast gun. Yeah. And you're like, he's got to drive a fast car. Yeah. And 90% of the time, they don't. 90% of the, they, they drive like an Accord or like a Kia. And you're like, okay, wow. And like we have found, we've got one guy that we shoot with named Paul and he, he used to race uh, Porsche Cup cars, and oh, really? he's a high-speed guy. Yeah, He shoots everything, yeah. all the different guns, limited, uh, carry optics, open, PCC, et cetera. And, uh, and, and he, you know, he shows up, he's got a, a fancy, you know, high performance vehicle and we're like, okay, finally I found one yeah. <laughs> that maps to what I need them to map to. Right. But as you get into the other, uh, competition brackets, like with IDPA, right. So you inter- want to talk about that one? So yeah, to answer you, so inter- international defensive pistol association, IDPA. So why, you know, what the major differences in, USPSA and IDPA to me personally that I've found is IDPA requires you to shoot from cover. Okay. So USPSA is uh, time and points in your scoring. And that's, you know, on the targets, the time and points. Um, IDPA is points basically. So, I mean, you want to move quickly. I mean, as quick as you can, but as accurate as you can. So even more so accurate than USPSA. And, and there's a lot of really, interesting props that these uh, match directors and stage designers use in IDPA. Um, I mean, as far as like opening doors, shooting under cars, shooting over cars, shooting, I mean, basically behind cover. Um, It's not so much a tactical, but I mean, there's a, there's a time limit in there, but you want to be able to shoot at time. And, uh, and of course all of them have, uh, you know, different criteria so they got spinners drop spinners they got what's, pop- a, what's a spinners just uh, for the folks at home yeah so a spinning target <laughs> oh. is basically it so uh, the first one i ever saw was actually in a match because we don't really have access to all the gear that the props and the targets that the match director have uh, yeah. i mean i guess you could go out by it, but the, like the very first one was you hit an activator so you shoot like a steel popper or a steel plate you shoot the activator and the target is facing away from you, and then it presents itself, and then it turns all the way around. So you have that long to get two rounds on target yeah. with it, you know. That's awesome. With a spinner. Um, and there's all kinds of goofy stuff. So we got swingers. So they got, you know, swinging targets where you hit an activator, and then you may hit an activator over here, and that activates a target over here that's behind barrels. Really? Yes. Yes. It's intense. It's extremely intense. Yeah. So, and, and then speaking of scoring, uh, Mitch, you hold up the different targets. Those look pretty different as well when you're going between the two different classes and how the points differ from the different styles. Yeah, absolutely. So if you look here, uh, if that's showing up good on the camera side, uh, so that is a IDPA target, right? And so the way that they score IDPA is you're looking at uh, the zero in the center as being that's where you want to uh, your, your most uh, efficient hits are going to happen there and there. And then as you move away from that, that's when it starts to cost you points. Uh, so the further away from that, so the, the score in the beginning uh, when you start to shoot is zero, yeah. Yeah. the more times that you hit in the zero circle, you continue to stay at zero. 
when you move away from that, then you start to go away from zero and add points. Adding points in this case isn't good. Yep. So uh, that's the way that IDPA works. Uh, so at the end of a uh, stage in IDPA, the best shooter is going to be what was called what is called zero down. Mm-hmm. So you want to be zero down in that case. And are those negatives on the on the chart? Uh, they they are negatives. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So for the folks who can't see, you get the headshot, which is zero, zero, and then the main chest is about the size of maybe a volleyball zero, yep. and then right around that, about maybe four inches perimeter, that's negative one, and then the very outskirts, like on the arm, negative that's three, a negative three, and then you got it. at the waist. Yep. And then what if you miss? Negative 10? What is that? That's, that's five points. Yeah, oh, negative five. five. Yeah, yeah wow. negative five. It, yeah, it's called yep. a mic or a miss. Yep. So is there, and then is there a paper or anything behind it? Or how do they tell if, if you just, if it's not on there, they just count it as a negative five? That's right. Okay, yeah. That makes, yeah. That's exactly right. Yeah. Uh, and then there's, there's other situations that you can get into where, um, you may hit on this border here. Yeah. So that, right. And so you were really close. But we're looking for that bullet mark to be on the perf. Mm-hmm. So if you hit that perforation, then it's still your score counts for that innermost portion. Three down. Uh, which so would give you the minus three, three versus yeah. minus five. Does that have to be 50% or just a little bit of a hair? Or it's just got to touch the perf. Uh, yeah. Okay. And so that's when there's a whole nother level <laughs> of you've got your range officer. And, you know, this whole... There, there isn't a concept of a paid RO range officer in the matches. It's community, it's right? Volunteer. It, it's all volunteer crowdsourced essentially, right? So, wow. so when when we're shooting together in a squad, there's a couple of people usually that are uh, certified range officers that have been through the exam by USPSA and whatnot, and it's not easy to do, right? Yeah. I mean, we're talking like there's a lot of rules. And I mean, like a lot of rules that cover everything. You know, what we say is there's a rule made because somebody tried to do it. Yeah. Right. (laughs) And so in this case, there's so many rules because people try to uh, cheat. They try to skirt the system or there's just ways that you're looking to try and get an advantage Mm -hmm. over others. Yep. So we can go into more about that, but. I'll get into... Uh, so I didn't really have a good example of a USPSA target. I mean, this is considered hardcover right here or a tuxedo. Yep. Um, the typical USPSA target is this humanoid um, type of silhouette. Yep. And, and Mitch, you want to explain the scoring factor on that? Yeah, absolutely. So in that innermost portion uh, that you're seeing, that rectangle, that is the A zone. And then as you get outward of there, that next portion is the C zone or Charlie. And then outside of that is the D zone uh, or Delta Uh, up here. You got this little credit card portion. That's an A zone as well, or a headshot, right? Um, Each of those is a specific point. And as you can see with the two on this target, that would be what you would call two two alpha, alpha, right? Two alpha would be the best score on any target that you can have. You want as many two alphas as possible. That's that, 10, 10 is points. It, is that anywhere in the middle or is it, is there a, spe, a so you see that perforation box? that starts here? Yeah. And then there's one that ends here. It's just uh, that bracketing in there. So as you move north of that, it gets to Charlie south of that, it gets to Charlie south of that. It gets to Delta. Makes sense. So for yep. folks who can't see or just listening to podcasts, it looks like a silhouette target, mm-hmm. but this, the shoulders are all blacked out. So basically it looks like almost looks like a 
airplane wheel or something, you know, I hit in the middle. Yeah. In this case, this would be what we call a tuxedo target. And the tuxedo is, um, anytime there's a black presented on a target, that's what you call your soft cover. Yeah. Right? Soft cover. So did if I say you, hard cover, I think, yeah. Uh, I, I can't remember if you did, but it, it would be, if you put a shot here, there's not a penalty for that yeah. necessarily you would need to just go in and make up another shot for you, right? So if there was one over here and then you put two in the alpha zone, it doesn't matter that it's here, but you did expend three shots, which took you more time. Yeah. So that's to your disadvantage uh, anytime that comes about. So when Greg was talking earlier about stage design and match directing and how they get into this, just really uh, the complexities of making stages, a lot of times they'll present targets like this um, with this soft cover. And then they'll even have another one where the target is white and this, whenever the target is white, mm -hmm. that is what's called a no shoot. That's a no shoot. You do uh, not shoot that at all. If you do, it is 10 points. 10. Minus. Negative 10. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. So is that for like hostage situation? Sure. It, okay. it creates the hostage situation or in, you know, it, it could just be that in a lot of cases when they're designing them, they're just basically putting these up to make the other target less visible. Mm -hmm. So you might see it presented. So it's even harder. Yep. Something oh, yeah. like that. Right. And it can even be, there's rules around how much, of the visible usable target can be exposed or cannot really right so you know the and, and various match directors want to make it harder on people so then you you know you're greg you show up as the new guy and you get this presented to you and you're like holy smokes do i just shoot the white a whole bunch and they're like yeah go ahead have fun <laughs> do your best right? is what they told yeah, me shoot it all yeah do your best yeah and so uh, you can imagine when we think about the scoring, it's time and points, right? Right. So if that target was presented in front of you with the with the with the no shoot, what would you have to do as a shooter? That'd be pretty difficult. That means you the only parts that were exposed that we were that would get not negative points would be the shoulders and the very top of the head. Which means yeah. you just need to slow down and get your shot because that first shot is is relatively simple once you get your sight picture, mm -hmm. and and if you've uh, if you've got your dot and you got your sight picture. That first shot is relatively simple, and that's oh, going yeah. to be somewhere in the A zone. But what happens to your second shot? If you rush that, you got to deal with recall. Not if, right? has, not if you have staccato XC. Right. <laughs> Even then, you still Sometimes, do. <laughs> yep. I mean, it was interesting. So, I mean, Mitch and Lance laugh at me because my very first match, uh, we were doing a lot of – I was learning how to score. Yeah. So, we do a lot of scoring and taping more than we do running and gunning. I mean, that's just, again, a part of the community. Yeah. You just – you shoot, you do that, and then you can wait for the next guy and so on and so forth. And so, you've got a – you've got your range officer uh, who's timed you, but he's also scoring your targets, and he's calling out your hits to the scorekeeper. And it's pretty sophisticated, at least at our, our range. We have – they have a lot of provided tablets, you know – um, that have the scoring system on it. So you can hit, you know, two alpha. So, you know, alpha Charlie, alpha Delta. Well, in my particular case, one of my first few matches, I literally asked one of the guys, I was like, who is Charlie and Mike and why are they missing so much? And they were like, <laughs> because Charlie, Mike, Charlie, Mike, two, yeah. you know, two Charlie. I was like, who are these dudes? And they're like, no man, that's your score. You, 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 
you got three points, but you lost five. <laughs> it, it it gets uh, to a certain level where, as a new person, you have to accept that there's going to be some overwhelming nature that takes place, and then you've just got to start getting into learning mode, oh, absolutely. right? And and those that that won't accept that, they just they won't stick around, right? Yeah. Come back. Well, it's, Go ahead. Oh no! I was just say it, sound, it sounds like a lot like racing. Like the like the very first time I was on the track trying to learn how to race, there's so many variables, so many things you're just overwhelmed by data input. With the you got the corner flag waivers, you got to stay on the. There's so many variables: the acceleration, braking. Yeah. You don't even pay attention to your lap time. Yeah. It's not until you get the fundamentals down. It sounds like then you start worrying about the timer that you guys are talking about, where you're actually timing your splits and looking at the station times. Yeah, that's so exactly right. Yeah, Smooth yeah. smooth is fast, fast is smooth. Exactly, yeah. yeah. That's and the hardest it, part it, to learn. It applies, <laughs> and it is simply the hardest part to learn. When your adrenaline's pumping, yeah. you hear that beep, you already know that there's a clock in your head. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can plan your stage all you, all you want to. You know that that first array is three targets and a steel popper. You mm-hmm. know that this is two targets, and then you got to transition back. Well, I mean, it took me forever to even uh, subconscious stage plan is what um, one of the published offers, Steve Anderson, he teaches mental management specifically for practical shooting. Yeah. He's an absolute master. Um, he got it from a professional shooter called Lanny Basham. Uh, I mean, he was an Olympic shooter, oh, wow. Lanny Basham, that's here in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. Mm-hmm. And he teaches uh, golfer, pro golfers, Major League Baseball, um, beauty pageant queens. I mean, it's all about that mental management because that is the single biggest enemy that any of us have. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. When we get out there. So and it is true. As soon as you see racing or shooting, you're like, I want to be as fast as those guys. It's like, well, you'll actually, you got to start slow. It, it goes against all the intuition. Like you just want to go right out the gate, bam, bam, bam. But you got to slow down, have the slower inputs, whether you turn the steering wheel or you're racking the slide or t- pulling the gun out of the holster, but you know, yeah. start slow and it'll come. You're, you're exactly right. And Same here. When you got to the point where you've you've uh, you've moved away from USPSA or IDPA, and you start shooting a match that uses IPSC targets, which USPSA will throw these in every once in a while, mm-hmm. uh, they're free to do so. And that's this target, right? That's this target. It's more of and, a kind of a stop sign, or what kind of shape would you say that it is? A little, op, little... yeah, it's kind of like an oblong yeah. and. Uh, what you notice is you've got based on how the target is oriented, uh, these shapes are cut significantly different, right? So you've got kind of this casket uh, shape. So if I take this target and I turn it upside down, well, you've got your presentable a zone here just changed significantly. Yeah. And so you'll see these targets that are oriented differently all the time. And with uh, IPSC, they have limits on how much angle the target can be presented at, uh, whereas USPSA doesn't. You can have the targets, you know, in a lot of different wild angles and configurations. Um, so the guys that shoot like World Shoot uh, that we just had that done a couple months ago was in Thailand. Yeah, yeah, it was in Thailand. Oh, really? Um, and so that's like invite only kind of situation. So the best of the best go there. Right. And obviously traveling to Thailand is expensive uh, and oh, yeah. you've got a plan for that. And, and not only that, but you know, you're going to a place that is uh, not gun friendly. No. Right. And <laughs> no. you're taking your guns. Yeah. Right. So you've got to plan all of that, the whole travel element to it. Um, but all that to say, 
you're shooting these type of targets the entire time. So if you shoot a whole lot of USPSA, then you've got to start prepping yourself for shooting this kind of target um, as well. What is the like traveling for competition? So I know like a lot of folks don't realize if you're not into shooting, just having a gun in the United States, you have to worry which states have different laws. And sure. I can't imagine what's that like competing, you know, on a U.S. level, and then international level. What kind of steps and logistics and yeah. hoops you have to jump through that? So when when you get invited to go to any of those international competitions, they have a full package that you know is essentially the do's and don'ts of uh, the travel. You know, in in the case of you know having. Uh, specific types of uh, travel papers. And then uh, if you're going to a a place that is uh, no guns allowed at all, then you've got to tell them exactly what you're bringing uh, like months ahead of time is usually how it is, right? It's not like, you know, Hey, a week before I'm going to just send them some paperwork. Yeah. Uh, They have to approve that. And then you have to pay for any of that, like other permits, there's permits, there's fees that are associated with it. And then of course you can only, carry so much ammunition, right? So uh, let's say you're going to be shooting a competition where you got to shoot a couple thousand rounds. Yeah. Well, with the airlines, depending on which airlines you're flying on, they might say you can only check a bag that has up to 10 pounds of ammunition. So depending on what kind of ammo you're shooting, you might have 40 or 50 pounds of ammunition, which now means you've got to pay to send multiple bags distributed, right? Um, do, do most people hand loads and they have specific specifications for all their stuff or is, sure. it, is it, it easier just to pay like an ammunition company to ship it to that country or are so, there any matches so they do both, it? right? Yeah, both. I mean, yeah, you're exactly right. It's in some cases you have people that are, uh, like the, the world champion Christian sailor, uh, he hand loads his own ammunition. Every single round that he shoots yeah. is loaded by him on his press. He knows, and, and he's, very uh, specific about how he loads those rounds. And like I said, he's the number one shooter in the world. Yeah. Right. And, and he's actually a young guy. Uh, We've, we've met him a couple of times. Really good guy. Really great guy. And, uh, and has been shooting for many, many years. So a lot of folks look at when, when they're looking for a model, you know, it's like in in race cars, right? Depending on, you know, what you follow, you're looking at like F1, you're picking the driver that's like, you know, who's the winner of the past, you know, four or five seasons. That's my guy, yep. right? Uh, and so in, in this case, many, many people look at what is Christian Saylor doing, right? What gun does he shoot? What, what equipment is he using? What equipment yeah. is he using? What matches does he go to? And, uh, you know, who sponsors him, right? Oh, yeah. uh, because obviously he could pick from anyone. Or sponsors, right? Once you get to that level. Uh, and so we had a, a, a really, I was a unique conversation with uh, him and with his mom when, when we were out in Period Arizona two. at a match. And she was uh, really upfront to say uh, that when he started out, he, he was talking about, you know, all this different equipment that he was going to need. Yeah. And, and his parents did the right thing. They said, you know, when you get to that point, then we'll evaluate that. Yeah. But we're not going to do that right now. And so he had to start out just like everyone else, right, on a budget and looking at equipment that he uses now versus what he used then. Uh, So I say all that to go back to answer your question. When you go internationally, it's a whole different set of regulations that you've got to follow to travel with your firearm and with your ammunition uh, and with the gear, right? Because, you, like I mentioned, the backpack of stuff, right? And and you don't want to go 
if you're used to having that same uh, configuration with you all the time, you got your backpack packed exactly how you want it. So a lot of cases, people will go buy, you know, a big hard case like a a Pelican or a Storm or whatever. Uh, And of course, you want to lock that thing. You want to have, you know, padlocks on it. You got to go through TSA Oh geez. Uh, paperwork as far as that's concerned, get to the airport early. Um, but once you're used to that process, then it's just like, you know, going on another trip, right? You, yeah. you just know the process and you do it. Uh, so when you're doing it domestically, a lot of people will do, as you mentioned, you kind of picked the shortcut out, which was, well, I would just have my ammunition shipped there. Yeah. Right. I would just go buy it from one of the big ammunition fact- factories like, uh, one of them that we shoot uh, a lot of their ammunition is Supervel, mm-hmm. and Supervel sponsors a lot of uh, matches to where you can just go online and pick out however many, you know, 2000 rounds, ship it to this range, and then you show up and it's there ready to go. Oh, nice. Right. And so then you don't have to factor in all of the, of course, you had to pay shipping to get it there, but yeah. still you had to pay shipping to get it to your yeah, house in the yeah. first place. <laughs> so you just kind of cut out the middleman. Uh, so there's that element. And then, you know, I think some of the, what are some of the other things that we ran into and, you know, just the overall travel experience? So there's a lot. I mean, you know, when you're traveling with a gun or with a firearm or with ammunition, I mean, but it wasn't as difficult as I thought it was going to be um, because, I mean, essentially you're just checking a bag yeah. and you have to take that bag, that Pelican case or that storm. You take, you go look and re- do your research, you know, Look at that airline, uh, look at the TSA rules, follow the rules. Imagine that um, you go in, in, you know, and I bought the case. And the first time we traveled was, was it Minnesota? Yeah. For long guns. Yeah. yeah for long guns. And so we went to uh, Josh Fralick's F5 farms up in, in Minnesota for a two day class with, he's a champion. Max Leogranis is a champion. And so I was kind of comfortable. I was leaning on Mitch and he was just like, all you got to do is just, you know, get this Pelican case. You put it in this. You go check it in at the airport. He's texting me. He's, I'm at the airport. I'm all checked in. Bada bing, bada boom. I'm walking in the airport with this big rifle, you know, Pelican case. And then I walk up to American Airlines. And it's packed. And, right. um, you know, with the self-check-in and everything. And there's always somebody help you there, like concierge, somebody, you know, to help you. And, and he sees me and he looks at me and hollers over the crowd, Hey, do you have a gun? <laughs> <laughs> oh, geez. Perfect place to do that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, you talk about deer in the headlight, you know, that commercial want to get away. Yeah. And I went, you know, just nodded, you know, yes. And he was like, Okay, young man, will you come with me? And I didn't even want to glance. I was so embarrassed. And I mean, you know, I didn't even want to look back at the crowd, but I could just feel the heat of people staring at me <laughs> and watching me as I walk down. I mean, hunters, you know, shooters, right. I mean, everybody, you, tra- you have to travel with a gun and, right. and the laws have, a, you know, afforded us that capability of doing it. But the, it was that first experience was the weirdest. <laughs> um, and then of course you, you don't know the information. You don't, how much ammunition can you, is it round count? Is it per pound? I mean, I think it's per pound. So even when we were, you know, in Minnesota shooting at, at the F5, um, we were, I was, we were winning ammunition. It was sponsored by federal oh, nice. and it was a fantastic, fantastic experience. And so I was just kind of giving it back to the other people. And what was funny is the people that I was giving it to were traveling back to California. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and they're stuffing it in there <laughs> and they're ooching it in there. And Mitch and I are looking at each other like, 
what is going on there? But not our not our circus, not our monkeys, right? That's so, right. So yeah, so that that's been a really good experience. I mean, uh, the next time we flew to Area Two out in Phoenix, Arizona, yep, um, that was easy peasy. Yeah, uh, that was no problem whatsoever. Can the gun and the ammo be in the same um, container when you get checked in on the airline, or does that have to be a separate locked container? Has to be in separate containers. Oh, geez. Yeah. But oddly, those guys that we saw were stuffing ammo in their gun case. Sure. Yeah. And so the there's, as, as everything that goes on with the TSA and with airport security, as we know, yeah. uh, it depends on who the person is that you interact with, right? Yeah. Uh, so they have the right to open up your bag or your locked case and pull everything out, right? Yeah. Yeah. Very rarely are they going to do that because it creates quite a scene in the airport. When we were going to Minnesota, they had pulled us over to the side into a separate room that had a different x-ray and they were, right? That was a whole coming different- back. Yeah, coming yeah. back to Dallas. That yeah. was that was. Well, it was both ways, right? Because yeah, when we flew out, right. we had the same deal. Yeah. Um, so, and, and it was like, oh my gosh, are they going to pull everything out? <laughs> or the one like, I mean, I have all my stuff like packaged exactly how I want it. Uh, so I think that you could, in some circumstances, have them together. But for the most part, and it, it goes back to like, the, there's these TSA requirements and then there's the airline requirements. Yep. Some airlines will only let you ship a certain amount of ammunition, no matter what. TSA, I don't know that they have a limit on that. I didn't find any. Yeah, so you have you basically go to the airline that you're going with, and and uh, it's interesting because American in that case had a less of a restriction with ammunition than like Southwest did. Am I getting that right? Yeah, it yeah. was really. Yeah. And so, and I was like, I don't understand that. But anyway, if it's going to be in the hull of the plane. If it's going to be in five bags yeah. or it's going to be in one bag, it's still on the plane. Well, I think as we all know, this when it comes to logic and gun law or gun regulations, it's like oil and water. I mean, sure, they're supposed to mix, but yeah, I mean, a lot of it is just. And honestly, I feel about if people are going to travel with firearms and ammunition, I want some accountability. Yep. I, I want somebody to ask that question. Yep. You know, yep. I mean, because we we run with guns our sport is playing with guns yeah. and so if we're you know if we're shipping a handgun and a and a PCC or AR type rifle or something like that i have no problem with somebody saying hey is that a gun yeah, yeah. <laughs> it is <laughs> yep can yeah. you tell me where to go check it in so i can you yeah. know get on the plane i have no problem with that yeah. i mean i would probably have a you know a problem if they were interrogating me, you know, like, yeah. well, what are you doing with the gun? You know, well, I uh, compete with it yeah, sure. uh, or I hunt with it. I yeah. mean, but other than that, I mean, but I, I really don't have a problem with being questioned, you know, about a firearm. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I would just be so paranoid or concerned because a lot of these guns are worth more than a car. It's like, I, I would just be concerned like, oh, well, I mean, obviously, you know, it gets Pel lost. Pelican, or well, Pelican cases are darn near bulletproof. They could throw that off an of empire state building and still be okay. But it's like, uh, what if, you know, what if one of the agents, someone is picking it up, they drop it or is a scratch? I mean, yeah. guns get scratches, I know, but like sure. some of them are almost works of art, the amount it, of energy and craftsmanship they put into them. You're always thinking about that, right? Always. I mean, that doesn't go out of the back of your head. You, you're, you're thinking I'm, I'm on the plane. All of my goods are right below me. Yep. I hope so. 
Oh yeah. <laughs> I, I hope that it came up on the little magical ramp. Yeah. Uh, and and uh, sidebar, I was just reading a conversation, uh, an an article about people using uh, those tracking devices like uh, tiles and the Apple tags and stuff yeah, yeah. to 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 um, monitor their luggage where it is. And I was thinking like I we should probably do that right I like that. as I would. we start to yeah. uh, travel more. Uh, but in in the circumstance in this article specifically, it was a family that had was traveling internationally, mm-hmm. and they got there, and uh, one of the bags didn't show up, and yeah. so they just went and pulled up, you know, find my device, and was like, oh, okay, well, it's still back in Chicago, yeah. and unfortunately, we're in Munich, right? Yes. Well, so <laughs> how quick are you going to get my bag to me? Yeah. Well, when they went to the airport to the uh, the baggage people and showed them on the phone and said, well, here it is, they were like, how do you have that? They were like upset that they knew where their bag was because they wanted to be the keeper of the bag. And oh, come on, man. Yeah, I was like, come on, you got to be kidding me. Power, so power trips, power trips, <laughs> and so. But technology wise, we should be able to do, um, you know, all of that kind of stuff. And that's a whole probably another conversation in and of itself. But I think what the encouragement to anyone that's listening to this is: you can travel with a firearm safely mm-hmm. and responsibly. Uh, there are quite a few of them that are traveling on planes with us every single day. There's lots and lots of hunters oh, yeah. that take them with them. There's lots of people that carry a firearm for about, protection. I was about to say with CHL license or depending on yeah. where you live, constitutional carry, a lot of concealed carry. Sure. You'll never know someone right next to you is you know, carrying a loaded firearm. Yeah, but they're not going to have it in the fuselage of the plane, right? If yeah. they wanted to travel with it, they still have to check it. But that means that, you know, there's somebody's got a pistol in there somewhere. Right. Uh, so, you know, I think that's just the world that we live in now. And, you know, being able to do that is um, it's it's a freedom. It's a right that we get to exercise. And, you know, we should be doing it more. I and, agree. You know, right. and I, I think people will, uh, if if they go, you know, do their research and look at the resources, you'll find that it's just not that hard to do. Yeah. And I think a lot of people are going to be excited. I hope a lot of people hear about this podcast, about the shooting organizations, because it really is for everyone. And you got all different types of people with skill level. I mean, yep. it's a really great community. You just go there and just be hungry to learn and obviously always have safety in mind and yep. you're going to be accepted. There is. So sorry to cut you off, but there it's interesting to me was like one of the first few matches that Mitch and I shot at a range called XMG Extreme Multigun. And we came home and we shot and, and it looked at the scores and I, and I text Mitch and I said, dude, we got beat by a 13 year old girl. Yeah. And he texted me back and he said, you might've gotten beat by a 13 year old girl. Yeah. I competed on my own scorecard that day, yeah. but it, it, um, it, yeah. So, I mean, there's teenagers. Um, sure. I think the youngest practical shooter that we have is eight years old. That's awesome. It's incredible. Yeah. Right. I mean, just absolutely incredible. It's good, wholesome family time. Oh yeah, treating you're you're te- teaching a young young person how to be a responsible adult because I mean, first and foremost, everything about this this sport that that uh, the first thing is safety. Oh yeah, safety, 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 safety. If you don't feel safe, anybody on the range can call ceasefire. Anybody, yep. you know, that's encouraged. If you don't feel safe, ceasefire, ceasefire, ceasefire. Um, so you know, these were the things that started drawing me into this community. And so as I got further into the community and I was seeing eight to 80, doesn't matter. We don't judge you on this. We're here to help you. This community was so inclusive and it was so diverse and the the people were so excited about it. And I'm thinking to myself, how come I didn't know about this sooner in life? (laughs) Yeah. 
For well, sure. I, I wish there was more news coverage. Like you don't see this on ESPN or like a, a traditional sports network on, you know, primetime you know, right. TV. Yeah, it's barely covered from an Olympics perspective yeah. now, right? I mean, if you remember as a kid, I certainly do of, you know, the Olympics where they're on uh, they're on skis and they have a oh, rifle, yeah. right? And they're like, you know, going downhill skiing and then they stop and, you know, get prone and they're shooting and you're like, oh my gosh, what, how, who thought to do that, right? <laughs> right. You know, but now it's, it's all but vaporized from uh, any news coverage or, um, I mean, you would have to really seek it out. Now. And it's been around since the 1980s. Yeah. 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 So when I looked into the sport and I started going further and further and further back and it's covered in, you know, some of the gun channels. And like I say, there is a subculture. Oh, yeah. um, there are some differentiating opinions about the humanoid shaped target. And there's some recent discussions about maybe do you change that target? Mitch and I just started shooting in another league, mm-hmm. uh, the practical competition shooting or PCSL, um, which was created by Max Little Grandis, the six-time national champion. A super great guy, very intelligent, um, very busy all the time, but, I mean, he's a six-time champion. So so he's created this where it's the USPSA rules. It's the time and the points. But he started to change the the target. And so he's – we mentioned Superbell ammunition earlier. He just announced this week that you can buy those targets from Superbell, and they will be drop-shipped to you. So Mitch and I was very, very fortunate that we got to meet him in, in Minnesota. And then uh, from that conversation, he was able to show up at Mission 160 at our range. And, and Mitch and I uh, helped put on uh, like a kind of match director. But, I mean, a, a PCSL match, a two-gun match, which was the PCC and the handgun. Mission 160 has some houses around it, so they don't really allow, you know, carbines or 223s or, you know, any of that. But, I mean, switch over. I've, I've got several PCCs. Mitch had several PCCs. We loaned those to people, and they came back, and they were like, holy <laughs> crap. Yep. This was so much fun, guys. Bring it back. Bring it back. And then Mitch and I had the opportunity to go out to St. George, Utah, at the birthplace of PCSL. Oh, really? And, and we shot with really, really good shooters. Yep. It was just after SHOT Show. Uh, Max put this, uh, this match on together. And, and I mean, now we're shooting, uh, we're shooting at eight inch plates, 50, 60, maybe 75 yards away with a handgun. Sure. Yep. Wow. <laughs> yeah. And, and rifle targets out to like 200. Oh my gosh. Six <laughs> and eight inch plates out to 200 yards. Yeah. Yeah. So we don't get to practice on anything near that. Um, in Las Vegas, they have ranges in Rio Salado, Rio Salado range in, in Mesa, Arizona. I mean, there's a lot of other ranges around the country that, I mean, we don't have access to to, you know, run and gun the carbines and the handguns and the PCCs and stuff. But when we got out there, the country was beautiful. Uh, again, the people, we shot with the president of USPSA. Oh, and, cool. I mean, it, this was on the heels of SHOT Show. And Yimin Lin is the president of USPSA, and he's shooting in this league. Fantastic person, fantastic individual. Um, his wife, Jody, was just an absolute mess. Her and I, you know, we cut up during the whole month. It was just, you know, it was like, man, this is so great to be a part of this. Yeah. You know? um, and so I've only been shooting a year and a half. Um, you heard how we got started in it. Uh, I shot my first um, – level two match down in Houston, Texas, the, uh, like 2021. Yeah. And, and it was, it was, uh, the beginning of spring. It wasn't even really hot yet. Yeah. 
but this was my first travel. And so, you know, it's nothing to, I didn't have to worry about flight, but I, you know, drove down to Houston, met my buddies. We all got together. We went out to dinner the next morning. We met for breakfast and we met at IHOP. And, and of course I, you know, I'm thinking, I'm thinking athletic because I'm very athletic. I mean, bodybuilding as a hobby for 15 years, I started out overweight, uh, you know, 274. I lost a bunch of weight. I've been able to keep it off, but it, I mean, it's three simple rules. And so it's nutrition, exercise, and rest. Yeah. Um, you know, I take supplements and so on and so forth. But when I get to Houston, we go to breakfast and, and I'm ordering the super slam with extra hash browns, you know, so on and so forth. And I'm looking around and these guys, they're eating oatmeal and fruit. And I'm like, well, you old men. I mean, and y'all are going to get hungry later. So, you know, I've got all my protein bars and stuff like that. And then we get out and we check in on the range and it's starting to get a little bit warmer. And about stage two, <laughs> I realized why they didn't eat such a heavy breakfast. I mean, I feel horrible. I'm oh. weighted down. It's starting to get hot. It's oh. Houston. Yeah. And so I was like, okay, well, let's write that down, Greg. No heavy breakfast, you know, so on and so forth. And little by slow, I started, you know, re, uh, just kind of trial and error. I started at looking at, um, I take my meals wherever I go. I prep meals. You yeah. know, I'm on, you know, a calorie per day diet amount of macronutrients, proteins, and carb, uh, complex carbs. And so I'm on the range. Well, I start to get hangry, you know, lack of protein, so on and so forth. Right. And so for a long time, I was bringing my meals. But I noticed after I even eat my good clean meals, my shooting would fall off. My movement would fall off. I would just feel bad. So I went to eating nothing, which I didn't feel good after that, yeah. uh, to like eating a protein bar. And I felt okay, you know, after that. But it was until we shot a level three match called Dragon's Cup. I mean, how dope is the name? Yeah, right? Yeah. So Dragon's Cup 2.0 was in uh, Odessa, Texas. Um Mitch is going to work the match. I didn't get into to work the match, but uh, we're going out there. I shot on Friday, and that and Friday, what, what month was it? That was that was in May. Uh, May. Oh, yeah, it was pretty yeah, hot. May and summer yeah, yeah. in West Texas. Oh, geez. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, it was just like I mean, I had my I had my liquid IV, my Element T, my little hydration powders, and oh, yeah. I had my cooler stuff full of ice cold drinks. The match director is phenomenal. The staff is phenomenal. They're keeping everybody hydrated. Uh, there's uh, every, uh, all these matches have an AM or a PM shoot and an AM shoot, so you can split it up. Yeah. But at one day, there's going to be a full day of just shooting 13, 14 stages. Mm-hmm. And Mitch and I were actually in that on that day. Oh, really? Yeah. So, um, so there's a, I mean, there's a ton of people. This is a phenomenal match. They're having Dragon's Cup 3.0 this year that I'm a sponsor of. Oh, and cool. so, um, oh, I'm sorry. I said, oh, cool. Yeah. So, so I go shoot 13 hours and somebody came up and they were like, so how'd you do? And I said, I lived. Yeah. That was my victory. I think we may have been talking to you. Survived. Yeah. We survived it. Yeah. yeah. I was so mentally, physically, and emotionally just drained. I mean, I was like, and I'm looking at my fellow shooters and I'm never going to be a gun manufacturer or a gun modification or, you know, any contribution to firearms or anything like that. Mm -hmm. But I do have 15 years of uh, sports, nutrition, uh, supplementation, you know, as a consumer. And so I'm driving back from Odessa and, and I'm just, I'm still spent even 24 hours later, I'm just wasted. And I started thinking, how can I help these people? How can I help these people? Because they're overnourished, they're undernourished, they're, Older, they're, I mean, the younger people fare where, 
much better over the older people and stuff like that. So I'm looking at this demographic and I'm like, man, I wish I could come up with the supplementation, you know, a hydration powder that didn't just have sodium, potassium, and magnesium in that. You really need that. Um, But as far as what we do and everything that we've talked about, we need strength, stamina. um, We need clarity. We need, you know, persistence and the ability to that because like we already covered, the majority of our time is just taping and resetting targets and yucking it up with our shooter, our fellow shooters. Um, And, and, uh, being a range officer. I mean, it's a voluntary sport, right? Yeah. And so I started thinking about it, thinking about it. That got me the idea. I got back to Dallas. I started doing investigation and research and started reaching out to my local shooters. What do you do to not get bloated? What do you do to have energy? What do you, you know, so on and so forth. I know the gym life. I mean, yeah. I know the vein popping, weight smashing, you know, gym rat. I am one. I mean, I, I know exactly what we take. And so I'm looking at all these powders and supplements in, in my, you know, personal stash. And I'm looking at, well, all this will last about an hour. This will last about an hour and a half. This is what I use for cardio days. This is what I use for leg day. The, you know, what I need to do is what, what I want to figure out is how to make something that would sustain. And so what I brought today, so, I, so the company, Make Ready. Uh, so what Don do me is every time we get on stage and we go out there, and you get ready to shoot a stage, the, the range officer says, make ready. Yep. And that's where you load your you load your weapon, you holster it, or you hold it, you know, at belt level. Mm-hmm. And so I started thinking, make ready, make ready. Well, that kind of goes in the gym world. It kind of goes in the, you know, in the practical shooting world. Yeah. So make ready nutrition went out. The name was available. The domain was available. Oh, so, really? Yeah. That's pretty lucky. Yeah. That's great. Very lucky, right? Um and because there's a there's a lot of make ready. So the next thing is I needed to come up with a with a product name, right? So the company name, product name. I started thinking about what is the most points you can get on a target? Yep. Two alpha. Yeah. So um I started socializing this idea with the Kevin Harding that owns Mission 160 range. And he's just kind of looking at me strange. And I'd already kind of I started putting my business plan together and I already started making it in my mind. I'm only going to do this until it gets hard or somebody tells me no. Yeah. Right. So I'm going to just kind of weave through this. I mentioned, I've talked about it. I mean, he's into a physical transition of his own and he's doing a lot of stuff, you know, physically uh, to, to add more muscle and to build. And so I'm counseling with him and I'm also talking to my other shooters. And then I'm, I'm talking to range owners. When I talk to Kevin, he's just kind of looking at me. He's listening intently, not a lot of feedback. Not, I mean, nothing negative. And he goes, well, Greg, you know, I used to do that. And I said, do what? He said, I've, I worked for a nutrition company for almost 20 years. And I was like, get out of town. What are the odds? What? You know? And uh, so I'm asking him and he's given me some names and contacts of people, you know, that helped him during his career. I mean, he literally walked from that career into owning a gun range because he loves practical shooting. He loves the community. He loves the competition aspect of it. And I'm like, okay, well, so this is, this is a God deal, right? This is yeah. something a higher power has enabled me to do to push forward. And so I start calling nutraceutical companies. I start doing all my in-depth research uh, on uh, ingredients because I'm like looking for that magic powder or that magic something. Um, And I find it, but what you want and what you can afford are going to be two different things. Oh yeah. Just like guns. (laughs) It's like, 
I, I really want a Staccato XC. It's on my my goal board, and I've shot I've shot one. But the bad thing is, when my friends let me shoot one, which warning spoiler, if you do, then you're gonna really want one because it's the <laughs> smoothest action on the planet. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, and so now I'm not getting no, and but I'm I'm getting you know these. This is what you risk, and this mm. is what you know you could reward. And so I'm going back, and and there's. There's a couple of different camps of, of shooters out there that have been practical shooting for a lot. Um, they're no caffeine, but I do want the energy. How can you do? How can you do that? Yep. Um, there's give me more caffeine. I mean, they're walking around with 300 milligram monsters, right? Oh, geez, yeah. Right. And so, so there's the caffeine and the non-caffeine, which is the two products that I created uh, for the for the energy side of it because it's parallel with the gym is you want to, you want to have energy to work out. You want something to sustain you, which is the the hydration, the electrolytes. Mm -hmm. And then, and ultimately in a, in a, you know, in a, in a good world, you want something that's recovery. So you want protein. Um, and then, um, you know, just something after the workout. Um, but what I, what I found was the two alpha performance berry is the minor power factor, essentially what that, and it says on the label, what that means is caffeine free. Yeah. So what ingredient did I use for uh, the energy? It's called taurine. Uh, it's a good, clean energy. Uh, I included, um, because I'm also a heart patient, I had a heart attack back in 2019. Oh, wow. um, uh, 2022, I had a pacemaker put in. All so right. so if you go from this, so I've been in cybersecurity for 20 years. I started practical shooting. I had a heart attack, <laughs> became a match director and a range officer, and I started a business in a recession. If you're not doing any more than that, you're not trying hard enough. Right. <laughs> so, exactly. so, you know, that's kind of been my year in a nutshell. Um, in, a diff- in, in addition to when I started a supplement company, I had to start kind of from the ground up. I was fortunate enough to find a nutraceutical company here locally uh, in Van Alstine, Texas. It's a 150,000 square foot manufacturing facility. Oh, wow. I got introduced to an actual formulator mm-hmm. who does this for, I mean, so the company is called LaCour, L-A-C-O-R Nutraceuticals mm-hmm. in Van Alstine, Texas. He's also has a distribution. He also has a logistics facility. Oh, wow. So again, go God. I mean, yeah, I right? mean, another guy deal, right? Just kind of fill in my lap. Um, it, and I met this guy, at, at my business partner at, at a gym one day, and I work out at a gym called Destination Dallas and. A lot of IFBB pros, a lot of NFL players work out over there. I really enjoy it. That's like another family of mine. So yeah. uh, my gym family, my shooting family, my family family. So I'm blessed to have a lot of good people in my life. But anyway, he said, hey, I know I, I can get you into liqueur if you got, you know, some idea of ingredients. I really did, but I didn't. Uh, all I had was the idea for the ammunition, the Arctic Berry ammunition recovery powder. And we can – we can uh, – we can probably make a couple of shakes if yeah, that's okay. Try that. Absolutely. Try that in real time. Yeah. So uh, what I brought today was I brought some shaker cups. This is a company called IceShaker.com. Um, it's known Rob Gronkowski's uh, brother, Chris, started this company. So we just uh, kind of partnered with these guys and had them laser itch. Nice. So these will be available on the website soon. Does that have- Looks like it even has measuring tabs or measuring. Um, it's got measuring lines. liners and the inside. That's pretty cool. That's awesome, right? Yeah. And this can hold ice for 30 hours. In Texas. In the Texas sun. Right on. That's um, pretty impressive. This little strainer top that goes uh, up here is also 
uh, good to hold uh, strawberries, kiwi, oranges, lemon. You can put some fruit in the top. How much should I put in? Uh, well, so that's what I was that's what I was looking at. Is put put about half this bottle. Um, we don't sponsor, but I do like a, a Body Armor Sport Water Electrolyte. So we'll put that in, and then the first thing we'll try topping is we'll try the ammunition powder. Um, so I got uh, some D ribose in here, which is uh, good for uh, cardio. I've also got um, you can get kind of kind of nerdy, but um, I put uh, a deanine. Uh, deanine is essentially something you can look up at examine.com. And sorry, oh, no worries, thanks, man. Yeah, and uh, you can a uh, deanine is the is the A in nicotinamide, a deanine dinucleotide. Uh, essentially, look up NAD plus and the advantages of that. And so what I was able to find this as a supplement because I had some health issues, because I had some heart issues, I was able to find a company that did mobile IVs where they come in and treat you for hydration and so on and so forth. But I had uh, a couple of IVs of NAD plus, and I'm telling you, it was amazing as far as my recovery. I didn't bring you – well, you, you already had Oh, it. no, I, I was going to say I just drank mine while we were kind of getting started here. I, I pre-gamed yeah. a little bit. This, um, this is ingenious too. That, that's, that's the other cool thing is like as we started getting into the world of essentially having to have a portable nutrition kit, right? You start seeing all these other little facets like – Protein funnels. Tiny funnels. Yeah, and that's ingenious. You know, the higher-end shaker bottles that'll actually stay cold. And like, there's a lot to it that, you know, normally is just kind of the gym rat. You just had the plastic thing. You shake up. You drink it as fast as you can and then go pound weights, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, now we have to find stuff that fits in a rain bag or range bag. And yep, so, yep. I mean, we've got our belts. We've got our ear, ear protection. We've got our, you know... Eye protection with Hunter's HD Gold. Now we're, you know, we're trying to consign. Now, obviously, you're not going to want to carry a big-ass tub of recovery around. Yeah. Um, so what I do, and um, my shooting instructor, my shooting, uh, uh, he, he taught me this trick. So earlier when we were talking about, I really couldn't find that good recipe of how to eat and stay, you know, um nutrition with with shooting four five six even 13 hours on the range and i was watching um my shooting coach one day and we were shooting a match together and and he pulled out a shaker bottle and i was like what is that and he said it's a protein it's protein powder but i'm just going to add you know water to it and i said now why do you take that and he said because i found i've tried everything and i found that um, I need some sustenance, but I don't need anything to bloat or cause me gastro distress or anything on the range. And um, so I hadn't even really, I hadn't even really came up with the protein powder up into that point. Right now I was still working on the hydration. Um, and so just to finish on the hydration, this is something that you can sip on. Um, 80, over 80% of us are dehydrated all the time. Um, our bodies are made of 60% water. Yeah. So if you're thirsty, it's too late. And we're shooting in the summer. Like I said, we're running up and down. We're running with guns. Uh, I've seen um, a lot of use cases, even at the Dragon's Cup, where I saw people that had cramps that were just extremely dehydrated. Um, their face was haggard, uh, you know, along. So like I say, I, I learned a long time ago in the gym, especially in Texas, 
that it's so hot that you got to stay hydrated. A good rule of thumb is a bottle of water per stage uh, when you're really? in the heat. Yeah. yeah, a good rule of thumb is one bottle per stage. Uh, what I suggest on my instructions is you mix this up 30 minutes before you go shoot. When I did my research and I took this to Area 2 in, in Mesa, Arizona, and I had some packets and gave it out to some guys, I noticed a lot of guys, they mixed a, a full serving in a full 12 to 14-ounce bottle of water, and they were only sipping half of it. And so I asked him, I said, RJ, why are you, just, why are you drinking half of it? Is it, not, is it bad? He goes, no, it's great. Yeah. I've, I've never shot and felt this good, but that's all I need. And really? I was like, what? Okay, right on. Yeah. And, and, and I, I watched him, and he continued to put water on top of this. So you need this in addition to water. Yeah. But what I found is if you will add this to your shooting regime, regime or training regime, your gym workout, mm-hmm. go ahead and take a sip. And, and this is the Arctic one, right? This is Arctic Berry. So that's no stem. Oh, okay. So that's this, this one you'll, right here? You'll still, you'll still go to sleep tonight. Okay. That's fine. <laughs> yeah. And, and so there is a small amount of uh, carbohydrates in here, and I chose the cluster dextrin. Uh, carbohydrate it's that's really good berry it's different yeah. right i mean yeah it's it's not like the major sports drinks mm-hmm. uh, i like it's this a lot different. yeah no so i set some rules down whenever i built this company uh, and started this product line is i absolutely positively refuse and will never put real sugar in my product yep i use artificial sweetener and now there's some camps out there and some religious debates about trivia and stevia and monk fruit mm-hmm. okay right now i use trivia and stevia um, I went back to my formulators and I was like, bro, how hard is it to get monk fruit? And he said, just next time we make a batch, tell me you want monk fruit. I'm okay. So that was kind of, that was pretty cool. So the, uh, the pre-workout, like I talked about, it's got a lot of good nutritional value in the pre-workout in the stem and the non-stem. Essentially they're the same formula, uh, but the, the one has caffeine, one has taurine. So we move over to now you're, you know, all day, every day. I drink this all day, every day. So whenever I drink it, when I wake up in the morning, I drink my 18 ounces of coffee. I drink, yeah. I mean, that's my coffee to wake up. About 10 o'clock, I will mix a scoop of the uh, two alpha ammunition. Mm-hmm. And I've also learned that I can uh, put a scoop of berry in there. Yeah. And now I can get stuff done. I mean, I, I, it gives me energy. Mm-hmm. But again, I'm not going to risk me drinking coffee after 10 a.m., which is my cutoff. And so for me, caffeine after 10 a.m. is going to be kind of sketchy whether I can fall asleep or not. Oh, really? Uh, Yeah. So, I mean, I really struggle with sleep anyway. Yeah. Um, Even with, you know, working out an hour, an hour and a half, you know, during the day. So with this minor power factor, two alpha minor power factor, I can put a scoop of that. I can put a scoop of this. I can kind of sip on this. And this is either on training days or competition days or something like that. I love those combos. Originally intended intended to give, uh, I wanted over 25 grams of protein in my recovery powder, Um, but I can look at my cabinet and I can see anywhere from 20 to 35 grams of protein in any one of my protein tubs. Um, Oh, also in this, I also included branch chain amino acids for muscle recovery. And so... The 2-alpha recovery, I incorporated the protein with collagen. Oh, really? Yeah. So, I again, my cabinet is full, and so I'm looking, and I'm trying to combine as much goodness for what I can afford and my 
consumers can afford. So now I've got a stack together. I've got uh, performance powder, which is the energy. I've got ammunition, which is uh, 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 hydration, as well as amino acids, as well as uh, for the immune system. I've got 1,000 milligrams of vitamin C in here. 1,000? 1,000 milligrams uh, of vitamin C. Um, Yeah, and I found that it does exactly that. It gets the hydration, the clarity, and the stamina uh, that I needed for the match. And so, and then the third component in the stack being the protein, 34 grams of protein in addition to collagen. So this could be before workout, during workout, after workout. I really intended it for after the workout to kind of, you know, re-energize and, and all of these are supplements. And so, you know, I come with the disclaimer of contact your primary care physician or contact a physician before consuming any other anything other than your regular diet. Um, If you're not on a regular diet of good nutritional food, this will help a little, but it will help more if you're eating nutritious food. And what by that, I mean, you know, good, clean carbs, good, clean uh, protein uh, and your fruits and vegetables. Sorry to sound like your mom, but (laughs) I found out. Yeah. Yeah. I found out for me personally. Um, Did you try the, this is the chocolate, uh, chocolate recovery. It's right? Dutch chocolate. And you tell me what you think about that taste. Kind of weird, the aftertaste. Go from berry to chocolate? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I've done that. That's really good. I I probably tried, um, can't tell because I'm, I'm totally ripped onto the soup, but um, I'm, a big, I'm really big into running, and I try to lift it as well. So I've tried probably 10 to 20 different supplements over the years. And, you know, it's so hard to get. You, you think, you know, chocolate's chocolate. How hard could it be? But, yeah. I mean, 70% of the products I've tried on the market in the past year or two, it's, it's tastes like chalk or chemicals. It doesn't it's taste like, like chocolate. No, it's like it's like if you describe chocolate to a person who's never seen or heard of chocolate. That's how it tastes, like how they described it. Yeah. So, yeah, this is really close to the real thing. It's amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I tried really hard to not have that protein powder aftertaste. Um, a lot of them have that, yeah. A lot of them have that, yeah, and I was trying real hard. This formula I got, he's an absolute wizard with flavorings. Uh, we've got some basic flavorings. We've got lemon. we got, you know, two berries. We've got, you know, the chocolate. Um, but I was able to, I was able to take this from an idea slash dream in May of 2021 to uh, eight months later, we launched. Oh, wow. Eight months? Yeah. That's fast. Yeah. It's super fast. Yeah. Yeah. So I was able to, I mean, not only find ingredients and um, and define formulas to incorporate in, in the three main objectives was to wake you up, keep you going, and put you to bed. But I was able to, I mean, the, I mean, just the graphics on the label, you know, we had to come up the graph, the logo for the company. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I had to have graphics artists in design, which I've got an amazing team. Yeah. I mean, I've got an incredible team. Are they, are they pretty good at helping translate your vision? That, that was, I've gone through a couple of graphic designers until I found Eric, who's really, he does a lot of my companies or all my companies graphic design. And I always tell him, I'm like, Hey, my handwriting is like a doctor. It's chicken scratch. Here's the idea. Scr- crudely scribbled out. Here's a, I text him a picture. I'm like, this is what I want to do. Can you help me make it look good, make my vision happen? And, you know, usually he'll knock it right out of the park on the first try. Yeah, like really? It's, oh, yeah. It's, it's so, as I'm sure you, you had the same thing with your logo where you, you have this vision. I, you try to put it to paper, and then it's like, 
trying to tell other people what you want it to look like than having it actually come to fruition. It's, it's a process. Yeah. So, yeah. And it can be, you're very blessed where you were able to translate that. Your God was yeah. able to hear your vision. Oh, yeah. Um, this is the third logo that oh, we really? went through. Yeah. And the struggle that I had was trying to convey in 15 minutes or 30 minutes tops. Yeah. What practical shooting is. Oh yeah. Because everybody's conception of it is you've got chest armor, you've got thigh holster, you've got an AK. You're a contractor. You're, yeah, <laughs> you're yeah. exactly. Yeah, PMC. You're a door kicking yeah. knuckle, knuckle dragger. Private military contractor. And, PMC. you know, and I'm, and I'm, I mean, like people were with me and they're like, you know, I'm like, no, that's not really it. I mean, yeah. we're athletes and, and it's a sanctioned sport. So that, you know, I showed them so many different logos and designs, um, which unfortunately, I mean, in our, in our sport, they're gun manufacturers or they're ammunition manufacturers. Um, so I was trying to stay with something that was patriotic. Yeah. That was I like American. Yeah. Um, so the, the, the last uh, graphics artist that I had, um, she's fantastic in, in the business for, of nutrition and supplements, mm-hmm. but she really didn't, but she nailed it. Oh, I mean, yeah. She absolutely positively nailed it. I agree. And so, um, we originally, this was called, uh, alpha ammo. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, we, uh, as part of this, you know, nutraceutical company that I'm a part of, uh, they actually have a general counsel and they did a deep dive and they were like, yeah, you can't use alpha. And yeah. I was like, well, okay. I mean, I'm not married to it. And they said, but you did say that the maximum points you can get on whatever score was two alpha. And I was yeah. like, oh yeah, really? Yeah. Was that just because they would have, they thought the word would have different kind of annotations or maybe be more related to different products on the market or, or even other different markets so it would confuse the customers? Yeah. Or, so, well, yeah. yeah. So if this thing got big, yeah, then I would have to change the name of the product line because there's so many alpha products out there. I was about to say, yeah. They're trademarked, right? Oh, that's true. Then it would have been hard to get a website too, I bet. Yeah, extremely hard. Yeah. Right? I mean, Make Ready Nutrition, I'd already lucked out getting the domain name. Yeah. Um, but then trying to call it Alpha Performance or Alpha Ammunition or Alpha Recovery, the, they, they just did a deep dive on that, and they were just like, nah, you don't want – not that you would be illegal doing that, yeah. but you're kind of getting into deep water. Yeah, and it, the logo looks especially nice on your, on your shirt too because it pops right off the white background. I mean, and that's one of the hardest things is – you know, marketing and all the studies behind the logos and the science of what colors are associated to which emotions. And it is really on point in terms of getting your patriotism uh, behind there because it got that awesome shield, the shield, the flag, the font is bold enough where it's familiar and you can see it from a, a while away. I mean, it is fascinating how much research goes into those things. And it's, it's pretty interesting just the industry of itself. If you look at, you know, dress marketing for firearm companies or nutritional companies around firearms, like, most of the mainstream marketing companies, like the most professional one or the legacy ones, based out of New York and California, yeah. a lot of them don't touch it. Like Black Rifle Coffee, I believe, has to do a lot of their own internal marketing yeah. because a lot of those other companies don't want to touch the subject matter. Yeah. So it makes it a little bit more, it's a more, more, a little bit more of a unique challenge. It even just being a supplement company has been, you know, waters I need to navigate. Uh, yeah. You know, from the market and the perception. Um, we just uh, we did a deal. We're going about we're gonna start in the next couple of weeks with a company called Crunch Fitness or Crunch Fit, and they have a gym in Arlington, Texas, and in Frisco, Texas. And they've opened. And I've gone in and 
I mean, when I talk to sponsors or when people, you know, ask me to sponsor, I mean, the first part of the conversation early needs to be, how do you feel about the Second Amendment? Yeah. You know, I mean, how do you feel about 2A? Is there a 30-out-6 or 30-out-7 sign on your door? Which, uh, <laughs> for the folks who don't know, again, kind of talked about earlier the importance of being following the laws and really being a responsible gun owner. You know, in Texas, if you have a 30-out-6 sign, that means you can't go in. With a firearm. With a firearm. Yeah. Yeah. If it's a 30-out-7, you can't go in with an open carry. Can't open carry, yeah. yeah. And then 30, if 30-out-6 yeah. applies to a licensed carry. Yep, unless, right? unless you're the government. Yeah, unless yeah. you're the government, yeah. right? So, uh, and then the, they put 30 out seven in place for the open carry folks, yeah. right? That came exactly. later on. And you're exactly right. In a lot of cases, you look at a business and you judge them by that, right? Yeah. Well, they obviously aren't two A friendly, but in some cases, it's not, right? You know, some of them. What I've found over the years is um, it's because insurance requires them to put stuff like that. Yeah. So you know, you have a business that you know they've got to be very patriotic, right? And then they have that on the on the door, and you're like, that that doesn't make sense. And you talk to the store manager, and they're like, no. Yeah, corporate makes us do that because the insurance company makes us do that, and it's not our call, right? It's actually really, um, uh, frankly, a little disappointing, disgusting in terms of you look at store theft. A lot of stores in America no longer have armed security, and even if they have security, they're in employees. They're told do not pursue that possible theft. Because of the insurance ramifications, if you accuse someone and they're not, you know, actually stealing yep. something, they're going to have emotional damage. And if you tackle them, the, lawsuits yeah. come, there's going to be physical harm could come. And yeah. so, you don't want to have your security guard getting into a tussle with someone. Yeah. Just let them walk out of the store with anything that's under what, what is it in California now? Like uh, $970, I believe, is yeah. now no longer considered a, a misdemeanor it's gotten to the point where they basically do not prosecute it which is increased crime and yeah. last year target lost 400 million dollars in inventory yeah in one year it's because crazy. of slippage theft and yeah. it's astonishing so yeah. it is a little disappointing when you talk to the stores and they might want to have a certain policy but you know corporate might not agree and a lot of them will say you know our insurance rates will go up and because i have a lot of our um I'll talk to clients and they'll have some of those signs or some of their security guards. They'll have security guards and the guards won't have a gun. Sure. And I, I was wondering, I'm like, so why is that? Whose policy is guarding that? And they go, well, it's a couple reasons. It's you have to pay more for the security because of the additional possible legal, legal litigation. So they have to have more insurance for it. They're, it's more expensive to yeah. have a guard that has a gun, right? Exactly. And they have to have it training is. and yep. certifications Absolutely. and all of that. Yeah, yep. But ultimately and, who pays for that shrinkage? The consumer, yeah. the yeah. consumer does. Exactly. It comes the, to us. The good guys. Yeah, yeah unfortunately. Yeah, unfortunately. I mean, it's it sucks that it's that way um, because now I'm a business owner and I house product. And yep. I mean, if anything was to happen to my inventory right now, I'd just be done. Yeah, I mean, it's scary. So, yeah. well, and and you're teaming with so many companies now, getting into the the ground level yeah. of companies and having to understand what's it going to look like for you to be a a stocking reseller. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So now I'm going to, I'm going to require that you have so much product on your shelf yep. and which means you're now invested in my company yeah. at the physical level. Right? And, and I actually built my platform on Shopify for that reason. I did look at, I mean, cause there's a, there's a thousand ways that you could have built that, right? You could yeah. do it in house. You could do it yourself. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can buy into a platform. You can do WordPress. You can do certain other things that you can do. I knew that I wanted to go direct to consumer. I knew first and foremost, so I wanted to do that. Um, 
I've got a good problem right now to where I have a lot of people wanting to be a reseller, but they don't have the logistics or distribution model mm-hmm. that I have access to. Mm-hmm. So I've got a couple a couple of people that have like, man, I can, this is wonderful. I can sell this. I can even sell this in, in my business and I, and they make jerseys. And so, yeah. um, uh, ammunition manufacturer that we talked about earlier, I don't, I mean, we haven't done anything yet, but we're trying to figure out how we can sell supplements with ammunition, actual, yeah. actual freedom seeds, bullets. Right? right. And so, um, and so now I got to figure out a sell to sell through model. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not, it's not hard to sell through because you can drive your customers to my website. I'll give you a discount code yeah. and whatever that discount code, the customer will get a discount. I will give you payment or credit towards product. Yeah. So that's kind of the poor man's entry level business plan to, yeah. you know, to branch out and build this channel. And it's absolutely effective. I mean, half, wait, what was it? Half, I'm guessing now I'm just getting, you know, 50 to 90% podcasts all have sponsors express by express VPN, you know, click that link or whatever. It's like, it makes it easier to grow the company because you're increasing the sales force, but you don't have to worry about salary, you know, base salary, healthcare benefits, management. It's just a win-win for a lot of companies. Yeah. Yeah. It absolutely makes sense. Not only that, but you think about in a, a specific time just like this, where maybe I'm on the fence about, I'm about to buy a VPN, yeah. right? I've been thinking about that over yeah. the last like couple of weeks. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, I've got to evaluate that one. Right. Oh, yeah. And so in this case, when you look at the shooting sports and you're thinking like, well, I'm going to get into that, but I never even thought about the nutrition level, like never yeah. even crossed my mind. Nobody has. There's so many people that go to a gym <clears throat> and, and the first thing that they do is they grab a Gatorade yep. and they go into the gym and they're like, woohoo, let's go for it. Right. They have no idea of the potential that awaits for them. If they just go do a little digging, a little bit of research, Oh yeah. um, which that's, uh, that's what podcasts are all about oh, yeah. nowadays, right? Is you know, being able to provide information to people in, you know, snippets where, you know, you can consume it as necessary um, and learn and you never know what you're going to get. Absolutely. In a digital format, like you say, it could be copied, stored, forwarded, you know. Um, So supplements, nutrition, and shooting. So all I want to do is help you run with a gun better. Kind of recoup because I know I I get excited about this. And a lot of people are asking me about the ingredients. They ask me about the stack. The stack is really simple. It's a, a pre-workout slash performance stack uh, with caffeine, without caffeine, uh, you know, with stimulant. And then the second one being the ammunition powder. This formula, I cannot talk about this enough. This formula was created for triathletes in the North Texas area. And the formulator, he created, his daughter was, uh, I believe, the Allen and she was a triathlete, and then she handed it to her friends who handed it to their friends. The uh, running, uh, or, uh, the running uh, marathon runners, um, uh, they, they started catching on to this formula. Oh, yeah. These ingredients are not available on the market today, so there is nothing compared out there that you can go stack for stack, you know, head-to-head uh, with the amount of stuff that I've been able to put in this. Again, it's a god deal. I've been very blessed. Uh, this product is thirty nine ninety five on our website retail. You can always contact us if you need a little discount. Uh, we are offering some shipping codes. And then the, the, the third one that I'm really excited about is the 2-Alpha Recovery, which is the combined uh, 34 grams of protein and collagen. Um, I didn't really understand when I started, you know, this. You know, collagen is 
has kind of been known for hair, nails, skin. And, you know, I, it, I mean, I really didn't put that together for making our shooters any more attractive. But, yeah. um, but, uh, but the benefits of the, col- the collagen for my muscles and my tendons and, you know, my creaky old joints and stuff like that has just been amazing. Now, my fingernails are growing like wildfire. Uh, I, I am not proclaiming to grow hair. I do not grow hair with my product. Uh, I don't really grow anything because I have been asked that question. Is it, does it make this do this? And I was like, no. So, again, this is only a supplementation to a nutrition plan that you should probably look at anyway. Uh, as far as the hydration, that's going to be good. Uh, because, again, over 80% of us are dehydrated every single day. If you feel like you're thirsty, then you've waited too long. On match days, uh, like that was the reason I was really trying to get this down. So I'm shooting a match at Mission 160 tomorrow. And I was like, damn it, I hadn't had time to hydrate today. It's only going to be like 32 degrees in the morning. Oh, geez. So, so I don't know if I'm going to sweat profusely during that match. But, um, but it, it is good because I am going to mix up two shakers of recovery of uh, one serving each, which is two scoops. I'll put those in my range bag. I'll have water with me. About stage three, I'll go over and make a shake. Uh, About stage four or five, or at least uh, for sure on my way home, I'll make another shake. And I won't feel full, but I won't feel hungry. I won't feel super exhausted. Um, I've had lots of testimony from people on our Instagram, which is Make Ready Nutrition, um, that, uh, you know, they've tried this in matches and they've completed videos for us. And so the, the ingredients are there, the benefits are there, the taste is there. Um, I just encourage everybody to give us a try at makecreatingnutrition.com. Absolutely, and it tastes great. I appreciate you guys coming on the show. Yeah, thanks, thanks so Toppy. Appreciate, appreciate it. Appreciate you. Thanks, thanks sir. sir. Appreciate it. Thank you, everyone, so much for listening. Don't forget, Topping Talks is also on YouTube, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, and Stitcher. We have Second Alpha in the description of the podcast. Don't forget to subscribe, like, comment, tell your family, tell your friends, tell your coworkers, tell your enemies. Heck, tell anyone. Just stay safe. Y'all have a great day. Talks.